With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This Ace Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Let's start with the, uh, let me ask you about the American League Rookie of the Year. American League Rookie of the Year. Funny that you ask about the American League Rookie of the Year because we have a couple guys where we talked about, I think the average A's fan would think Ruiz would be a guy that's really in the running for American League Rookie of the Year because... Well, he has the steals, 36 steals. Because we, we, we're, we're valuing the steals big time. And he's on pace. I think as of right now, I did the numbers. He's on pace for. He's on pace for seventy nine, seventy nine steals. Okay, but the problem is, and something I, I would definitely want to go over too is something that um, you probably haven't heard anywhere else unless you watched A's pregame live on Sunday. A's Hall of Famer Dave Stewart. Have you heard of him? He's a three time World Series champion. Yeah, him and I were talking about. Uh, the Hall of Fame the other day at NBC Sports. Oh, yeah, you're like buddies with him Yeah, now. we're good friends. Uh, Dave Stewart talked to Ricky Henderson about Este Uri Uri's, and it was a very good point that Ricky made that the thing that Ruiz does well is he has the hit tool. He has the ability to hit. He's got really good hands, and... Man, he can swing it. Every and he can steal bases, but everything else needs a lot of work. But according to Ricky Henderson, the thing that he wants to see, and it's part of the problem with Ruiz, is if he doesn't hit, how does he get on base? And now I'm not talking about hit by pitches, because there's going to be times he doesn't hit. Because right now, you look at his OPS, it's 664. That's not great. And he's got a low on-base percentage at 320 for a leadoff guy. Now, we like the way he hits. He's got 75 hits, which has got him either leading or tied or whatever with all rookies. 
But for a guy that's got so many stolen bases at 36 to have a war of just 0.2, there needs to be more to his game. So Ricky Henderson makes the point to Dave Stewart about Ruiz. That only you can get here on Ace Cast Live, by the way, unless you watched early Sunday morning Ace pregame live, which you didn't. I did not. I was on the way to the ballpark. So Ricky said one of the things that made him so successful is that pitchers feared him just getting on base. They knew if he walked, it's a stolen base. They just knew it. It was like a walk was a double. So if you're if if you fear walking a player, what are you gonna do? If you fear walking it, you are you're gonna try not to walk him. And how do you not walk a guy? Try striking him out. Well, you gotta throw strikes. Yeah, yeah. In your world, yeah, you think striking it out. Yeah. No, you gotta throw strikes. You can't walk somebody by throwing strikes. So all of a sudden, Ricky used that to his advantage, knowing that with the crouch, he was gonna get a lot of good pitches to hit. If a guy now he took a I mean, no one walked more than him, so he was gonna take his walks. But he knew he was going to get some cookies because guys did not want to walk him because they knew if he walked, it was a double, if not a triple. This is where, like the other day, in one game, I don't have the Bible in front of me. I can go get it. In a game against Philadelphia, in the very first at-bat, he swung at the first two pitches and hit the second one to lead the game off. What are you doing? You're a leadoff hitter. You need to see pitches. You 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 need it. You can't be free swinging hack at the plate. I know you have the hit tool. Ruiz has the hit tool, but he's got to see pitches. And then in his last at bat of the game, he struck out on three straight pitches. Now, Ricky Anderson played for twenty four years, twenty five years, whatever it is. It was a long time. He's one of the greatest players of all time. I doubt you can find very many at-bats that Ricky Henderson struck out on three straight pitches. It is just not what you want to establish. As a base stealer, your job is to get on base. However it is you get on base, you get on base. But we have seen a horrific bunting technique from him. His bunting's horrible. He sometimes just goes up there just to, uh, it's 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 a hack attack and that's just not approach has to be changed. Now, all the stuff we talk about is stuff you can hopefully teach him. I've gone over it in the post game show. I haven't gone over it here much, but I'm not buying anymore the the aspect that Ruiz is young. Ruiz has played more games than most guys his age. I did a whole thing. I don't even remember which show it was, but you take his 19-year-old year like he's a freshman in college. He was 19 years old. He played in 117 pro games. You go to teams in the College World Series right now, they've only played in 60. So he's had almost double what a – he basically is first 19 years old. So he's been playing since he was 16. He's been getting paid since he was 16. He played in the games in, in the Dominican League down there. But at 19 years old, playing minor league baseball here, which would have been a freshman year in college, he basically got two years in one. 
in in, in a span where, uh, you know, the best college baseball teams will play low 60s, he played in 117 games. Ruiz has played in more games than any guy that goes to college by the time he's 24 years old. He's played in more games. He's had more experience. So this talk, all this talk about, oh, he's young, so he's made, you know, he makes mistakes and he does this. It's like, you got to stop that. You got to see what it is. He's got to figure it out. And I, I mean, and don't forget, he plays Winter Bowl, which, you know, if you're lucky enough to get to Cape Cod or Alaska in college. But you look at the amount of games. I mean, my God, 2019, he played in, uh, 2019 played in 98, 2018 played in 117. No college guys playing in 98 games or 117 games at a high level of, because A-ball is still higher than college. Correct, it is. You're getting more, I mean, he's played 2021, he got in 84 games. I mean, look at the amount of at-bats, 493, 380. That's, I mean, no college guys getting over 400 at-bats. It's crazy. He played in a high, yeah, let's see, 2022 between Milwaukee and San Diego. How many games did he get in in 2022? What's the total? 114. 114. This dude's played a lot. He's had a lot of play. In two, let me give you this, the, the total of minor leagues. In the minor leagues, he's played in 521 games by the age of 24. I guarantee you if we took, give me a college player, any college player who's drafted after college and now he's 24, that would only be a couple of years in minor league baseball. Well, you're going to get picked at, what, 21? Yeah, I mean, I mean the easy guy to mention for the A's would be Logan Davidson. Just got promoted to the AAA, but he's 25 and he missed the whole year because of COVID, so that's in there too. Give me Logan Davidson. Yeah, because and, and oh, and by the way, yeah, this is this is Ruiz in the minor leagues has played 521 games, and that's with a COVID season of no games. So if he would have had the COVID season, he'd be almost at 700. Logan Davidson has played in 334 minor league games. Okay. 335, sorry. So Logan Davidson, a star player at Clemson, played in regionals, and has been in minor leagues, has played in 335 career games. Correct. In the minors. Ruiz has played in 521. Do you want to tell me how young Ruiz is for the mistakes that he makes? Throwing to wrong bases, running when he shouldn't. I mean, I'm not buying the young thing. Broadcasters are going to sell this because that's their job. I get it. Me, I have to actually look at this, grade it, tell you what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is a guy that makes mistakes. At all seven levels now, Ruiz has played in 649 games as a professional. 649. That's not young. So he's got to, there's some things he needs to start figuring out. So getting up there and going three pitches strikeout, not acceptable. Swing at the first pitch of the game when you're a leadoff guy, unacceptable. The other day against Philly when he threw the ball to third and allowed, uh, was it Bohm or Stott to go mm-hmm. to second base, unacceptable. Throwing to the wrong bases, unacceptable. I remember one throw this year, he threw up the first baseline from shallow center. There's certain things where you just go, that's unacceptable. Well, you'd say, well, why isn't he? Well, let's just look at Josh Young. I know it looks like Jung 
It's yeah. Josh Young because he's German. Is it German? I think so. Look it up. Though. You're talking about the Rangers third baseman. Yes. It's spelled J-U-N-G, but it's Young. He went to like TCU or te- yeah, Texas Tech. I want to say it's German. It's Eastern European to, to save me uh, there. B- baseball reference, it says he's from San Antonio. <laughs> this is a Eastern European. It's 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 young. He leads all rookies with 75, 77 hits, so that's two more than Ruiz. He's got forty four RBIs and he's got fifteen dingers. One behind Corbin Carroll of the Snakes. My Snakes. Corbin Carroll's having an unbelievable year. Um, so favorites to win a tight AL Rookie of the Year race. According to Bet MGM, Young plus two twenty-five. That means he's the favorite. Uh, Yoshida, who should not be in. This goes back to Hideo Nomo and um, Ichiro Suzuki. These guys shouldn't be listed as rookies. They are professionals from the Japanese league. Yoshida at plus two fifty. You know who's third? Ryan Noda? No. No A's is on this list. Oh, no A's. Uh... No A's. So, Betty MGM is not even throwing our guys in. I'm sure our guys are down the list. They're not even in the top four. Uh, I'm going to say not Gunnar Henderson. At least he's better lately. Gunnar Henderson. Oh, it is Henderson. Wow. Plus 400. Hunter Brown plus mm. 750. Your leader in the clubhouse to be the rookie of the year is Josh Young. And it. Ruiz is not even here, and neither is Noda. So, could you get into that? Yeah, the stolen bases is great, but your all-around game has to get better. And you might say, well, that's harsh, Chris. That's Ricky Henderson said that. The man of steel. So, Ricky Henderson believes there's a lot that Ruiz can improve on. And still, the Christian Pache thing sticks in my craw about what happened over the weekend. Two doubles on Sunday, two runs scored. I don't know how good Pache is. I just would have liked to have seen how. Can you imagine if he had an, an outfield, and that's a problem with having veteran guys, but a outfield that you constantly had a mixture of Ruiz and Pache in the outfield and kind of seeing them grow together? Yeah, I was going to say because, uh, you know, Rooker was the guy that captained Rooker over his last 31, 185. Two home runs, nine runs driven in. He struck out 40 times, and he has a 561 OPS. What is Rooker in the last 30, 32 games, 31 games? 31, 185. Sitting 185. The league has found him out. And really, if you said who's been the A's best player this year, and I know I've been promoting him big time, I think there's no question the guy who's been the best this year has been Ryan Noda. If you had to actually say who – He's not going to get into the game, but who should be the – as of right now, if you had to ask me who is the A's all-star, it's Ryan Note, I think, no question. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you. I think people are still going to say it's going to be Rooker. Um, no. They're going to say it's Ruiz. Who's going to say Rooker? No, people just look at his numbers because he has the home runs and RBIs and the OPS still. I have not heard anyone say that lately. Everybody knows he's dropped off. Everybody, everybody who has called the show, everybody – Immediate people we talk. Everybody said Ruiz because he's leading the league in stolen bases. I mean, that'll be the. I mean, one of those guys would be smart, but I still think Rooker has a shot, especially if he. No way. 
There's uh, no way. You don't notice. Because you can sell Ruiz from the standpoint of he leads the league in stolen bases. Yeah. Uh, Noda right now is ranked second in the American League in on-base percentage, eighth in baseball with th- at 397. Um, no one's catching Luis Arise at 450, who had another five-hit game yesterday. Noda's got a war of 1.8. Ruiz is 0.2. It was, it was actually negative over the week uh, before Sunday, I believe. Yeah, Noda's a 1.8. The defense, the defensive numbers. Oh, his defense is fantastic. I mean, Ryan Noda. Oh, I'm just talking about Ruiz's numbers weren't defensively aren't great, but well, Noda, yes. Defensive runs saved. Ruiz is the worst outfielder in baseball. If you believe in defensive runs saved. Uh, there's another guy that's really bad at defensive run saves in the A's in the A's infield. It's not Ryan Noda. What's wrong with Shane? Lee? What's wrong with Shane Langoliers? He's getting exposed. Negative 12 is his defensive run saved. He's getting exposed. What's he hitting? Uh, 205 on the year, but over his last um, – in June, he's hitting 178 in June. He has one hit in his last 17 at-bats. I think they had him in the notes today. Yeah, he's got one hit in his last 17 at-bats. Ramon Laureano, two hits in his last 17 at-bats with 10 strikeouts. You wonder why the A's are – you ready for this? Six for 52 in their five-game losing streak with runners in scoring position. Quickly do the math, boy genius. Six for 52. Um, California College of uh, uh, Pennsylvania. California, well, they changed the name now, Penn West University. Kind of like Cal State Hayward is now Cal State East Bay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. I, I played against Cal State Hayward. I did not play against Cal State East Bay. There's a guy for the Dodgers that played. Just for- like the Guardians are now the Indians. There's a other way around. Or the Indians are now the Guardians? <laughs> uh, there's a kid pitching for the Dodgers from Cal State. I've given State. you time I, to figure yeah, it out. I, I, I'm going to say it's probably like 315. 315? Six for 52? I don't know. It's 115. Oh, uh, I, I got to 15 right. <laughs> the A's in their five-game losing streak with runners in, hitting with runners in scoring position, six for 52. That is a 115 average. Well, if you just start looking at it, Tony Kemp doesn't hit. He's in the lineup today. Correct. Ramon Laureano doesn't hit. Langoliers doesn't hit. I mean, a bunch of these guys. All in the lineup hitting. today. Uh, I, what, and they, I think, Unbelievable. Rooker? Rooker not hitting. I mean, keep hitting Rooker third, and the guy hasn't hit in over a month. I think over the last. A month. What, during the five-game losing streak, they've scored 11 runs, I think is what it is. The pitching's been great. Now it's Pitching's just, outstanding. The offense has been the problem. The and we five. can actually say that without, like, we're not sugarcoating it. The numbers show the pitching. If you're just joining us, because I know people pop in, last 13 games, the A's have the fourth lowest ERA for starting pitchers. They're the fifth lowest in the American League with the bullpen. I mean, they're, they, have, they have turned it, Scott Emerson and all that hard work, and that's why I talk about the validation for the coaching staff. Coaching staff is out there busting their ass, working with these guys, doing everything they can. But the reality is there's only so much you can do, right? There's only so much you can do as a coach. You could do, you know, we can go through all the video. We can go through all the mechanics. We can go through all the data. We can go through. We can we can put you on rap sodos and have high, high-tech cameras and do Hawkeye and TrackMan. We can do everything. But at some point, you got to go out there and perform. Agreed, yeah. And and, and, the, and for those for the coaching staff, you can't hit for them. You can't pitch for them. So I think it's not only great for the players. I think it's great for uh, Tommy Everidge. I think it's great for 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 our guy Scott Emerson, who's a unbelievable pitching coach. 
uh, also for the skipper, Mark Kotze, so he can sleep at night and he's not trying to sleep in his office. I mean, for these guys, it's validation for the coaching staff is what it is. Yeah, and they're, they're all – I mean, a lot of these guys, I mean, now some of the guys like Mahler have struggled in their pitching in AAA, but the guys like Sears, the return of Paul Blackburn has been really good for the – I think for the pitching staff. You know who believes that? Um, Dave Stewart. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, he's the veteran leader on the staff, right? I mean, he's been the longest tenured pitcher on the A's. So, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, Cap's been pitching well lately, too. J.P. Sears has been probably the best starter all year. Hogan Harris has been great since his uh, de- debut against the Mets. I mean, over his last five games, Zeri's like 257, I believe. So, Hogan Harris has been, has been pretty good. How do you not give the credit to Scott Emerson, the pitching coach? When we have seen out there the tireless work that he's doing with the staff, Every single day, they're grinding it, man. They're grinding and grinding and grinding, and you're seeing it. This is what we had talked about on this show. We had talked about it on the A's Clubhouse show. I need to see guys get better. That means the coaching is working. I'm not expecting you to go out there and win a ton of games. I'm not. I get it. I know what this year is, but I have to see you get better. So, with that said, Ask me about AL Rookie of the Year. None of our guys are in the top four, according to BetMGM.com. Give me the second thing I want you to ask me. Uh, how can the A's learn from the snakes? How can the A's? That is a great question, Cody. How can the A's? i got to go to my notes here. Where I, right, 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 right. How can the A's learn from the Arizona Diamondbacks? Folks, I hopefully you didn't waste time. I, I am never going to get... I am. Not, I'm just going to talk to you straight here. I'm never going to get that time back in my life earlier today that I watched the MLB Combine. I'm never going to get that back. That is gone. On my deathbed, whenever that is, hopefully later than sooner, I will say to the doctors and the nurses, you know, if there was any time I could get back in my life, it would be the time I watched the MLB Combine. I want that time back. I wasted an hour of my life today. That was so bad. But I did get something out of it. Because you always got to get a positive out of a negative. Why the A's can learn from the... Why the A's can learn... I'm I'm actually texting right now with the great Scott Emerson. He needs a good smile. He wants. I told him we're blowing him up on the show today. Oh. And he wants to hear it. All right. Mike Hazen. Do you know Mike Hazen, who works for the Arizona Diamondbacks, what his official title is? Well, he was the GM. I don't know if he still has that title, if he's president of baseball operations or vice president or what is his official title. It's not chief baseball officer. Only one guy in baseball has that, and that's Hein Bloom. He is the executive vice president and general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So he has a big title and still GM. Okay. So if you're GM, what the hell are you executive vice president of? Front office. I, it just says executive. Ba- baseball operations. That's so stupid. He was asked today, what's, what, what does he see as the big thing for his team this year? If you haven't been following it, the 
Arizona Diamondbacks, as of right now, are in first place by three and a half games. Even though the Giants have won eight in a row, the D-backs are still in first place by three and a half games in the West. Mike Hazen said this. The biggest thing of what's happened this year is what happened last year. The changes they made in the second half have propelled them from last year to this year. He said, playing up tempo, wrote this down, playing up tempo, playing fast, playing defense, and built through the draft. Up tempo, fast. Recently, Tori Lovello, manager of the Diamondbacks, friend of the program, said that they're like a bunch of black Labradors on the beach chasing Frisbees. That's, That's how they quote. play. That's a great quote. It's awesome. <laughs> That's how they are. You know, you throw the Frisbee on the beach, the dog's jumping up, dog's going into the water. They're having a great time. That's the D-backs. And it all started last year. I had that stat for you that I found, that no one stole more bases and had a higher efficiency rating stealing bases in the second half than the Arizona Dimebacks. So, you think the new rules didn't play for them? We're playing fast. We're coming at you. It's every game. Let's go. But it was young players. Young players through the draft. Hogan Harris is the first guy we're seeing really through the draft until Nick Allen works out. Uh, But that's what the second half says for me and the A's. The second half. What are we getting with Soderstrom? When's Geloff? When's Cody Thomas? When are these guys coming up? I know Diaz wasn't drafted. Neither was Cody Thomas by us, but you get it. When are the young guys coming? When are the young guys, and Cody Thomas isn't young, but young in baseball terms. We got a lot of guys like that, by the way. Everyone knows, ah, they're a little bit older, but they haven't played in a lot of games. When are they coming? When are the younger guys going to bring the energy? Followed by Clark, Butler, Harris, and double-A. When are they coming? You can throw Logan Davidson in and now he's in AAA. Logan Davidson, when are they coming? Because that's what the D-backs did. D-backs said, we're going to play fast, up-tempo, play hard, play defense, bring it. We're coming at your ass every game. That's what we're going to do. That's going to be our style. And in the meantime, I still have it written down here, and I, this will not leave my desk this year. From Tori Lovello, love, trust, effort, and commitment. All this stuff they talk about, and I know they're highly analytical, but they don't talk about it. That's just a part of their game. That's what's so interesting about the D-backs, of how they're playing, how they're developing, how they're progressing, has nothing to do with every night just crunching numbers. (sighs) Who's got the best barrel rate? Who's hitting the ball hard? What are the splits? How does he do against lefties during a day game? But not, not they, they don't they incorporate it, but that's not what they're saying what makes them successful. The GM executive vice president said today, MLB Network at the Combine, I wrote it down, up-tempo, play fast, defense built through the draft. Go back. I don't know, maybe they'll put it on YouTube. That's what he said. That's why they're better. That's why they've changed. Does anything say about the tw- – I don't know why I'm getting angry now. Does anything say about the 2023 athletics up-tempo, play-fast defense built through the draft? The only thing up-tempo is Ruiz. 
Um, play okay. fast, not really. Defense, no. And uh, Hogan Harris is the only guy in the draft I've seen. Where's the up-tempo? Where's the play fast? Where's the defense? Where's the built through the draft? Where's the love, trust, effort, and commitment? You want to learn from somebody who's winning and who's done it the way you need to do it the next couple of years? Because a big free agent contract's not showing up anytime soon until this thing gets closer to Vegas. That's just a reality. Don't hate me. It's just a reality. That will happen probably 26-27 when you start building for that opening day. Right now, you've got to play with young guys. Tony Kemp's not bringing that. Ramon Laureano's not bringing that. Seth Brown's not bringing that. I mean, we can go on. Jesus Aguilar didn't bring that. Up-tempo, play-fast defense. That's what you need to be doing. That's what the Diamondbacks are built on. I mean, Corbin Carroll, this kid is hitting 333, 11 bombs, 28 RBIs, 30 runs scored in the last 32 games. He has scored 31 runs. Only Shohei Otani, have you heard of him? He's a good player. Has a higher slugging percentage than this kid. And Carol got, and Carol he got wasn't it. the number one pick in the draft. And he also got a very team-friendly contract, too. Yeah. Where Matt Chapman turned down 150 and once again isn't hitting his weight, this kid signed the friendly deal. These are the kind of guys you got to draft. These are the kind of guys you got to promote. Athletic. Strong. I mean, this is this is if you want to compete where nobody looked at the D backs, let's face it, everybody looked at all oh, the Padres are spending all that money. Oh, look at the Dodgers. Oh, the Giants. Here the D backs are. They're younger, they're faster, they're more athletic, and they're leading the division. I don't know how long it will last. What'd you say the date is right now? Today is uh June twentieth. It's June twentieth already. And look at real quick with them. Uh, big free agent contract. Big free agent pitcher they signed. Where's he at right now? Who? Where's Bumgarner at? They got rid of him because they knew that, they knew that he wasn't he wasn't the future for them. They took a chance on him, realized it wasn't gonna working out. It wasn't working out, and they cut him. Probably more importantly, you're looking at the numbers standpoint. You you could have worked through that. He wasn't good for the clubhouse. Yeah, that was interesting when we read that. When we read that. Um, Former A's pitcher, all-star. Dan Heron. Dan Heron. Dan, Dan Heron's their pitching coordinator or whatever. When Dan Heron is bringing him the info and he's telling Dan Heron to go stick it, it's a bad sign. Brent Strom, their pitching coach, long time, big time. And he's telling – Bumgarner's telling you to stick it, don't want to hear it. That all tells you, got to go. You're not on the same page. We're not all pulling on the same rope. You're not pulling on the same rope, a team in first place. That kind of tells you when everybody sings this ultimate praise of Madison Bumgarner, oh, Boach and Bumgarner and the Giants. Well, here's a guy that could have been the leader for these guys and basically told the coaching staff to go stick it. What the hell do you guys know? So much they had to, like, end his career because – I hadn't signed with anybody since in, in a sport that's desperate for pitching. This sport is desperate for pitchers. He hasn't signed. Maybe he doesn't want to play. But in a time where he could have been the leader of a team that's in first place, yeah. this is what he wanted. He left San Francisco to go be in first place and to stick it to the Giants. 
because Bumgarner's Mr. Chip on his shoulder. He would have loved to have been in first place over the Giants in Arizona. But they got rid of him because he was a bad dude. Hard to believe, right? And yeah. now, after reading all the stuff about what went down, it's not hard to believe at all. He was a bad guy, and they're like, you're not worth – your numbers stink. Probably could work through that, make you better, but you won't let us help you, and you're telling us all just to go, you know, fly a kite. See you later. Hard to believe Mass and Bumgarner. They were like, we're better. We're just better without you. We're better without you in the clubhouse. Yeah. and uh, Not saying he was a bad guy to the other players, but to the coaching staff, it's a bad look who's trying to help you. Like, look what Scott Emerson's doing for the A's. He's trying to do everything he can. They're trying to do everything they can to win a division. You got a guy telling you got a guy getting lit up like a Christmas tree telling you he doesn't want to hear it. Gotta go. Yeah, and he's not even listening to Brent Strom, who's one of the best pitching coaches that ever Correct. Pitch you know, be a coach in this game and it just didn't work out and they they, they acknowledge it and, and they cut him. And it's not like they struggled since they cut him. They're still playing very well. D backs have won nineteen of twenty eight during that time. Tied with the Giants and for the best record during that stretch. Atlanta? Since May 20th, the Giants, the D-backs, and who am I have the best record in baseball during that time? Marlins. The Marlins. Wait a minute. I thought you had to spend the most money. Everybody at the winter meetings, and everybody talks about money all the time. Maybe after Fran, we can get into the $100 million contract. Everybody says you got to spend money to win. D-backs, Giants, Marlins. Giants have a decent payroll. No, they, hey, they did have Correa. Mitch Hanniger's hurt. Correct. Who would have saw that coming? Uh, since May 20th, that's a month. The best teams in baseball, D-backs, Marlins, and Giants. Big thing with the Giants, too. A lot of people don't want to hear it, but the thing with the Giants, their youth movement's here. You got Casey Schmidt, Patrick Bailey, who's now taking – Joey Bart's in AAA now. So Bailey, And then they got Luis Matos up as well. This team hasn't lost since he got promoted. This Patrick Bailey kid since May 19th, talking about a month, he's tied with Jonah Heim for the most RBIs for a catcher. I'll ask you about Otani. Have you heard of Shohei Otani? Um, he's that guy for the Angels. The other guy plays behind Mike Trout, right? Uh, we've got the old freeway series going on in Los Angeles right now. Well, actually in Anaheim. Shohei Otani will be on the mound tonight. And it looks like they're going to go with the opener for the Dodgers. Shohei Otani is the major league leader in wins above replacement. We were just talking about that. Uh, war at 4.7. He leads Major League Baseball with 24 home runs, 175 total bases, and 58 RBIs. Now he'll move into the top three in strikeouts on the mound tonight, potentially. He's six in MLB with a hundred and five this year. Did you know Shohei Otani has never faced the Dodgers? I saw that note in there. That's very interesting. Has never faced uh and what makes it so is that everybody everybody believes that Shohei Otani will be a Dodger after this year. I believe the most like he's pitching against his next team tonight. He's showcasing what he is tonight. Yeah, when they the athletic pulled, like I said, they did all the they pulled players on a bunch of different stuff and they asked about where Otani would be next year, and like fifty six percent said the Dodgers. Makes sense. Now, could you I don't know what his numbers I I don't have it in front of me, his numbers of what they have been in the past. 
But if from a pitching standpoint, because to me, if we look at a lot of numbers from the past, I just want to do this one real quick. If if we look at a lot of numbers from the past, he was pretty sporadic, right? There was injuries. There was all this kind of stuff. But a number that I saw today that I went, wow, what was the one thing that – and I know one guy, and I loved him, so I know this. Roger Clemens, after his team had lost, was amazing. And that's what really, when you talk about someone like Clemens – Maddox, 300-game winners, Randy Johnson, Tom Glavin, all the recent guys that we saw win 300 games, is a lot of these guys had unbelievable records to stop losing streaks. It's unbelievable. Like, if you'd lost two in a row, three in a row, don't worry about it, you got Maddox on the mound. If you've lost two in a row, three in a row, don't worry, Clemens is on the mound. You're winning. It's win day. You're in whatever issue you got, it ends today because that SOB's on the mound and he's coming at you, right? Verlander's been that guy. Uh, I guess, I mean, God, he pitched well again last night. Kershaw, uh, you would think of the great pitchers. I don't think that with Grinky. <laughs> Grinky might go into the Scott Rowland category. When Grinky gets his plaque in Cooperstown, I may pass right by it to go to Tom Seaver. No offense. I think I'm going to say go right past it, go to Scott Rowland. <laughs> I may go right past Grinky to go look at some of the greats of all time. Maybe a Walter Johnson. Maybe throw a bone out to our friends in San Francisco, a Juan Marichal. I might just go right past and not even read Grinky's plaque. Yeah, put Grinky and Rowland in the same room together. That is not really fair to me to say, but I will say it. <laughs> There's certain guys I'm not reading their plaque. I'm going, eh. I watched them play. Great. No, I'm saying you can say I watched them play. I, I already know. His, I already know how. I already know whatever they're writing on there. I'm not yeah. that impressed by anyway. Otani, after an Angels loss this year, nine starts. This is what an ace does. Five and one with a 2.55 ERA. That's Angels have lost. And by the way. As much as I don't like him, Phil Nevin, 41 and 34 right now, the Halos. Halos are hanging in there. Halos usually have wilted by this point. Still early. Ooh, don't be hating on the Halos right now. Why, my wife's an Angels fan. I'm allowed to hate on them. They're in second place. For now. Well, they can only do, they can only do now. We're in now. I can't tell you what's going to happen July 15th. Th- I can only live today. Where are they putting the parade out when they reach the postseason? Uh, it's going to go down Catella, <laughs> and it's going to go right around Disney Way. They're going to go back around Disney, and I don't even know what those back streets are. I just know Catella and Disney Way, and they'll that's what the parade route. How much you want to bet if they had another parade, Disney would be involved? Oh, for sure. I don't know how that works because I know there's Catella and there's Disney Way. Isn't one of them Gene Autry Way, too? Gene Autry Way is on the other side of five where the big A is. Oh, that's one thing. Yeah. So I, I, the only reason why I know Catella as a kid growing up in Southern California, um, coming up from San Diego to Disneyland, before they redid all the construction for I-5, you used to just get off on Catella to get to Disneyland. You got off Catella, made a left, and you went back under uh, I-5, and that's how you got to Disneyland. Now – you have a Disneyland way to take you. You have a 
entrance that takes you right off the freeway and it brings you down to Disneyland. But Catella's still there. So Catella, Disney Way, circle back around Disneyland somehow to Gene Autry Way would be how they would have their parade route. I am not scheduling the parade route for the Angels just yet. Okay. I'm saying you got to give them their due at 41 and 34. They're, they're winning right now, and the first thing my wife said is. And here's your guy, as you said yesterday, Anthony Rendon, left wrist, placed on the IL. They're doing all this without Rendon. My, that's the first thing my wife said. She goes, we're playing well. And then she sends me. She goes, look, Rendon's hurt again. Here, I have the – there's a, here's a, there's a number about Rendon. Well, you haven't finished – I mean. Rendon's played a possible 143 games of a potential 398 since the start of 2021. It's arguably the biggest bus contract in the history of baseball. I don't disagree on that one. We're getting close. Strasburg was injury. That's a resign too. This is this is just not good. Not good. Uh, five and one with a two point five five ERA after an Angels Angels loss. You got to give him credit. How about this? Otani is actually a better hitter on the day he pitches. This is why I like this guy because he's a gamer. I used to not like Otani. <laughs> I like Otani now. When Otani was like, hey. I want to play for Team Japan. I don't care how you use me. I'm in. When we got a bunch of greedy-ass mercenaries in our game who all they care about is their contract and their money, Shohei Otani says, I don't care about money. When you think about it, he came over here for not a lot of money because he just wanted to compete. The guy wants to play. He's a badass. And I've turned on Shohei Otani. I love the guy now. Because he's not about money. He's going to break the bank, but money comes with success. That's his deal. He's not, his whole thing wasn't, how do I grab as much money as I possibly can? That's not how he has gone about it. He has gone about going, I want to play. And I want to prove to all these guys I'm the best in the world. And he always said, I can play more. He always wanted to play more. Your guy, Joe Madden, wouldn't allow him to do it. He has always wanted to play more. How about this? On days he pitches in 14 starts, he's hitting 396. Do you want to go to the A's lineup? Um, I don't have to. There's nobody in the lineup hitting anywhere near okay. that. Okay, we got nobody who plays both, and we don't have one guy hitting 300 in our lineup. Well, do we have a guy hitting 260? Yes. Rooker? Ruiz. Oh, oh Ruiz. Is, is he at 260 exactly? 264. He's hitting 396 with an OPS 1,182. Three dingers, 10 RBIs as a hitter pitcher on that day. On the day he pitches, he's almost hitting 400. That's what little leaguers do. That's what ballers do. This guy is awesome. And not at the standpoint like, we've never seen this before. We're going to cease. We're going to start seeing this. He's opened the door. Like, even now, we're starting to hear, hey, hear this guy at Vanderbilt, or hey, this guy at Wake Forest. Florida. Or, oh, hey, I'm Jack Tawney. Jack Tawney's his name. They're going to be out. Mark Kotze was that guy. They never gave him that opportunity. There's going to be more of these guys. But doesn't mean they're going to have the fight he has. What makes Shoei Otani special is the fact that he wants the fight. He's like a prize fighter that won't duck anybody. Heavyweight champ, bring it on. Muhammad Ali, you want me to fight Frazier? You want me to – who do you want me to fight? I'll fight him. You want fight, I'll knock Foreman's ass out. Who do you want to go? I'll fight anybody. Ken Norton, not the linebacker. <laughs> 
Ken Norton Sr. He fought, Ali fought everybody. That's what the heavyweight champ does. A real heavyweight champion will fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. That's Shohei Otani. I now like Shohei Otani, but not because of everybody else. I've never seen this before. Just because the guy wants to play and be the best. It's truly an athlete who wants to be the greatest. Doesn't shy away from it. He's not afraid of it. He didn't have to pitch in the World Baseball Classic. Are you kidding me? And how many guys are like, I'm, you know, I don't want to get hurt. He's already had Tommy John. He's he's in, he wants to play. Hey, you only live once, man. You live once in your life. Why not put it all on the line? And that's what Shohei Otani does. Now, I've said this before too, and I'll back this up that the players of yesteryear, they didn't have Tommy John surgery. So when you got hurt, your career was done. One of the reasons that made Tommy that he's able to do what he does is because of modern technology. But the fact that Shohei Otani wants to be the best, and it's not about money. Hey, everybody else talks about money. You know who you've never heard talk about money? Otani. Otani. Shohei Otani has, I, I don't know if you heard, do you got anything for me that says what, what he's demanding, what he wants? All he wants to do is win. Because that's what people should understand in an industry with a lot of money. You do good work, the money will follow. I mean, if you're an actor or an actress, if you're a good actor or actress and you win the Academy Award, money's going to follow. Right? You'll, you'll get paid. You put up numbers, you will get paid. It's like the total opposite of Carlos Correa. Shohei Otani is the opposite of Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is money, money, money. Show me the money. Johnny Menzel. He's just money, money. How am I getting paid? How am I getting paid? If I do this, I get paid. If I have, has, has Shohei Otani ever talked about, well, if I do this, I'm going to get paid? If I do that, I'll get paid? Carlos Correa did a whole thing on TBS about it. You found out what Carlos Correa was about. He was about getting paid. I mean, he's the only player in the history of baseball to sign two $300 million contracts in the same offseason. He signed with uh, 12% of baseball in one offseason. Isn't that what it was, 12 or 13%? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to admire that. Shohei Otani, I've never heard once even – now, he doesn't talk a lot. Never once addressed money. In a sport that all you got a bunch of greedy mercenaries, he's not that guy. So you've come around on Otani. You're a Votto guy now. You're on the Granky train. I have to be on the Granky. Grank, Granky's earned it. I can't. I don't love Granky. All right, let's, we got to find someone else. You can. We need to. That everyone likes that you don't like. I'll, I'll I I I wait a minute. I'm. I don't think Votto is the darling you're claiming he is. I don't think I'm out on an island when I go. Guy played his entire career basically at the Great American Ballpark. Bandbox. Oh, I've never said I think he's a. I mean, guy barely hits. I mean, you're not talking about 500. He didn't even come close to 400 home runs in that ballpark. He barely has a thousand RBIs. Yeah, I don't well, think because he walked a lot. I don't think he's a first. Does ballot. it matter how you get on base? Well, Albert Pujols said the number one thing about his career that he respects the most. Not what he respects. I got to look at the article, but he says, "Oh, what he's most proud of is his RBIs." Hank Aaron was most proud of his RBIs. Are you going to say Hank Aaron's full of it? Uh, no, those are number what one, two in baseball history, correct? If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, without doing a Google Just search. Just wanted to throw it out there. I mean, 
Unless you want to dog pool holes again. I'm a pool house guy. Well, he's most proud of his RBIs. I, I don't hate RBIs, though. I'm not in that camp with BK. You can't you can't kind of be analytics and you 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 you're either in that group or you're not. I just don't think I don't think RBIs That's are, my problem. I'm kind of I go back and forth. I, I don't think RBIs are overvalued like some other like some people do. Got to score to win. Is that that's still you got to score to win. Yeah, right? you have to score runs to win games last time I checked and um That it would be interesting to have Brian Kinney on because analytics are kind of outdated. Really all of our data that we talk about now is stuff that we're getting through science. Radar is science. Yeah. We're getting stuff, Hawkman, Hawkeye, Trackman, Rapsodos, all the StatCast. All the StatCast information is coming from radar. It's not coming from guys going, well, if I take your on-base percentage times by this, divided by that, by this, and then I'm going to run it by Bill James, and then we're going to – those days are over. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he is the manager of your Las Vegas Aviators. Fran Reardon is with us. Fran, I know you just got to Oklahoma City. How are you doing with the guys? Doing great. Um, you know, another road trip. We're playing the Dodgers for a week, and uh, they're, in, they're in first place in the other division. So it'll be a, a good test for the boys, and we're excited. How do you guys like that everybody gets the day off on Monday, so you have a set day off? I think, it's, I think it's amazing. You know, looking back at the old PCL schedule where you, you could sometimes play 22, 25 days in a row without an off day, and that includes all your travel from coast to coast. Um, there are a lot of really, really early mornings, and, you know, having, having the time off in a specific day, which is Monday for us, has been a, just an amazing thing because we can travel on that day. If we're staying at home, we can have an actual full off day at home, and, you know, you, you know exactly when you're off, so you can plan things if you have stuff going on that you need to get done. Yeah, I got to think, I mean, just taking care of your business, right? There's things you got to do. I mean, you're, you're, nobody's living in places that they own, so you got to pay rent. You got to do your bills. You got to do laundry. I just got to think that's great for these guys to have one day that they know and just go, whew, I'll take care of it on Monday. You got a Monday. Not only can you go out, play golf, do whatever you want, relax, but you got that day to handle your business. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. And, you know, you, you ask guys what they did on their off day, and pretty much everything that you just said nailed it. You know, you throw in some rest in there and, you know, a nice restaurant for dinner, and that, that's pretty much it. But to have that stability of that one day off, I think it's great for the players. And if it's great for the players, I'm all, I'm all in for it. You know, I, I've done worked a couple Oklahoma football games back in the day. Norman's not too far from Oklahoma City, and I've gotten to stay in Oklahoma City. I got to tell you, for everybody out there that thinks about the flyover states, I Oklahoma City is a sneaky good time. They've got great restaurants. It's uh, I got to think it's one of your better stops. I I love it here. I love the stadium. Um, there, there are great restaurants right around the hotel we stay at. We stay right 
right next to Paycom Center, which is uh, where the Thunder play. So and there's a lot of things to do and a lot of things to see within walking distance downtown. And they, they even it, since 2018, since I've been coming here, they've really done some, some neat things downtown to make it really accessible for, for people who are walking or taking scooters or just want to get out for a good night out. So, yeah, I love it here. All right, let's talk about your Aviators. You got the win, 15-11 to 11 over Reno on Sunday. I look at one player from the box score and a guy that, you know, we know about that whole send you back down, got to find yourself to get you back up. Tell us how Nick Allen's doing a shortstop. I mean, he's, he's doing great. He's, he's controlling his at-bats. Uh, he's swinging at the pitches he should swing at and laying off the ones he shouldn't. Uh, he's playing gold glove defense at shortstop. And he's doing everything that he needs to do to, to get back to the big leagues. And, you know, it, sure, it's, it's been a, a bumpy road for Nick, up and down, up and down. But every time he comes down and, and is tasked with doing something that's going to get him back to the big leagues, he really, really embraces it. And he doesn't pout about it. He's not bitter about it. He plays the way he always does. And he really works on the things that he needs to work on to get back up to the big leagues and be a productive big leaguer. So he's been wonderful. Yeah, he's a he's a great kid. There, there's no doubt about it. And, and take us through this process where a guy has been sent down. Obviously, the team wants him to work on some things. Do they give you kind of an idea of what they want him to work on? And then how does that go with you and the player to get him back on track? Well, the answer to your first question is yes. There, There's usually a plan from the major league staff about what this – player needs to work on whether it's a defensive thing offensive thing or a pitching thing and you know that gets communicated to the player before they come down and then the first thing I ask them or pitching coach or hitting coaches ask is hey what do they tell you what are you you here to work on and then it kind of opens up a dialogue of all right well there's no time for you know feeling sorry for yourself there's no time for for angriness or whatever the case may be we got to get to work because you know, you're here for a reason, and that's to, to, to work on, on things you need to work on and improve and get back up there and help the big league team. So there's a lot of communication that happens, but when, when you have that kind of communication to start when they come down, it kind of opens up the door for them to tell you what some, some of the things they need to work on could be. So, you know, just trying to find that balance of what the, what the, the major league staff, the player, and the staff down here uh, we're, we all, we're all on the same page to try to work on the things that need to happen to get that player back to the big leagues. Yeah, I find that interesting. I mean, your, your job is so complex from a standpoint of you've got these young guys who are just trying to get to the big leagues for the first time. We can talk about Sodi and Geloff and these guys. And then you got other guys who have been up at the big league level. And sometimes when a guy comes down, He's not happy about the decision. He's, I mean, I, I, we're human beings, right? He's a little, he's a little teed up for the fact that he got sent down. Uh, just talk about the difference in managing guys who are just trying to get there for the first time and guys who have been sent down, not thrilled about it, but of course they want to get back up. Yeah, and you have that in every trip AAA team. You know, you're talking about an age group of 21 to 35 or 36 years old, and each one of those players in between uh, to a man has has a goal, whether they've been there before or whether they're trying to get there for the first time. And, you know, their, their goals are different depending on what stage of the career they're in, but it's very important that we as a staff uh, are intuitive to that and are helping with the 
if it's a young player creating major league habits, uh, creating professional habits. So when he does go to the big leagues, there's not a big shock of what he should expect or the things that he should or shouldn't do. And then it's the, uh, the, the nuance of the older player, the 34, 35 year old guy who is, you know, had some experience in the big leagues and is still working really hard in AAA to get back up and provide for his family. And there's everybody in between. And each individual player has that different story and that different uh, kind of push that they need. So it's really important that we as a staff try to identify how we can motivate each and every person on the roster to, to get them to the next level, whether they're 21 or 35 or 40. It doesn't matter. Wow. I mean, that's such a crazy range of ages, but that's part of the gig. Do you have a rule of thumb? on player coming down, cool-off period. You know he's not going to be thrilled to let him kind of, okay, it's been a day, two days, now let's get to work. It's it's not a rule of thumb, but it's a rule of uh, individual players and their, their mentality and their mindset coming down. And sometimes you can tell a guy doesn't, guy doesn't want to talk <laughs> when he first comes to your office and says hello. And, um, you know, he just wants to com- compartmentalize things you know, get get his stuff back into his locker. And most of the times those players will come and seek you out later and say, hey, this is what I got or what do you have for me? Um, Some guys are excited to get back to work. Maybe they weren't getting a lot of playing time in the big leagues and they're excited that they're going to get more playing time in AAA. So those are the guys that want to come in and say, hey, I'm ready to go. I, I, you know, I don't want to miss any time. I want to get at bats. I want to get back on the mound. Uh, So there's no rule of thumb, but it just depends on the individual player's mindset and and kind of having a feel for where he is when he does come down. And, you know, most of the time, these guys, they're still so hungry and they're still so motivated as professionals to get back to the big leagues. It's not a a woe is me situation. It's a what can I do to get better situation. And uh, you always have to appreciate that mindset in the player. You know, one thing that we talked about with David Force about Tyler Soderstrom is getting the on-base percentage up. I mean, we know the kid can swing it. I, I do the minor league report every day uh, inside the broadcast, and I keep seeing all these home runs. Where is Tyler, and how close do you think he is to big league ready? Um, Tyler's in a, a good place. Uh, he, he needs to control the strike zone more. Uh, he's, he's hitting for power. He's hitting the ball really hard. His exit velocities are, are really, really good. Um, he's chasing too much. And because he's chasing too much, he's not getting into very uh, hitter positive counts, and he's not walking as much as he should. And it's just a matter. As a 21-year-old hitter, he's he is doing f- phenomenal at the AAA level. Uh, this this is a level where they're they're coming at him and with different ways and attacking weaknesses and trying to get him to go out of the zone. And he he is doing his best to make the adjustments to control the strike zone to only swing at the pitches that that he knows he can do damage on. And it's it's not easy. And it's uh, something that he's working on. And when he when he has success with it, he understands that that's who he has to be. And when he doesn't and when he goes out of the zone and chases and gets gets himself out, that's when he does get frustrated. But the bat is special and, you know, it's just going to take reps and at bats and seeing pitches at this level to help him get ready for the next level. So do I think ready now i mean he could go up there and compete for sure with the the bat he has and he's also catching really well and playing good first base but i I do think he needs more at bats and some a little bit of refinement just to see more pitches and again start controlling the strike zone a little better and 
and swing swing at pitches that he can do damage on. Now that Ryan Nota's emerged here at first base, is Sodi athletic enough where he could play in the outfield? Oh, he is. Yeah, he's a he's a fantastic athlete. Um, it's not like he's a, a a burner, you know, running the bases, but but he's for for how big and strong he is, he can really move. Uh, he has plenty of arm. He's doing a really nice job throwing the baseball, the the catcher position. So yeah, I mean, I think. I think Tyler has enough confidence in his ability to, to really go in any of the, the power positions on the field. How about Zach Geloff? Zach's, Zach's having a really nice year. Um, again, being being a young player at, at a high level, getting at-bats at AAA for the first time, consistent at-bats, he's, he's experiencing a little bit of the cat and mouse where they're kind of attacking him in a certain way, and he's, he's doing his best to make the adjustments. And... Even when he's not seeing the ball great or feeling great at the, at the dish, you know you're going to count on him to be competitive in there and uh, to fight for hits and fight for walks. And he's done a great job stealing bases. And what's, what's most impressed me about Zach is his development at second base. Uh, he's really come a long way as far as uh, feeling that position. It's not, a, it's not a position that he's been familiar with, played his whole life, and it's just like riding a bike. It's a position that he's trying to, to learn and really get a feel for the nuances of the position, where he should be on certain plays, different you know coverages, uh, double play footwork, double play positioning, and he's really really grasping onto that. And you know you look at the the t- totality of his season so far, offense, defense, base running, he's just been fantastic for us. Jordan Diaz is young and he can hit. The question is, where do you play him? Long term in your crystal ball, if you had to say. This is where he plays defensively. Where would you say? Well, he he's got. Uh, I mean, Jordan's got a really good arm. He's got a lot of arm strength. He has he has pretty good hands in the infield. He he had success at the major league level at second base. Uh, he's learning how to play third base here in AAA, and you know he's he's working hard to that end. Um, he has first base experience. He could he could play over there. I think that any one of those positions I just I just mentioned, and possibly left field, could be a, an option for him as well. But the, the bat is is certainly playing here, and he had some moments up in the big leagues where he you know, he flashed signs of that bat. Um, I just think Jordan has to get comfortable in in a position and feel confident and comfortable like he does in the batter's box, and then the sky's the limit for that young man. I can tell you I've been a big fan of Cody Thomas since we're in Oklahoma right now, and you're talking about he was a Oklahoma Sooner quarterback. So to be to, to be recruited and to play football at Oklahoma, you got to be a premier athlete. I mean, that's the bottom line. You've got to be able to throw. you got to be able to run. They're picking from the best of the best. He's one of them. We've seen him. Tall, athletic, rocket arm. Now, obviously, older in age because of that football transition. Just what do you see with him, and how do you project him in the big leagues? Um, I, I see a winning major league player in Cody Thomas. He does he does everything well. He does everything right. Uh, he's a consummate professional. He has a, the mindset that you need to be a winning major league player, and. I haven't even started talking about his numbers yet. You know, 14, 15 home runs, leading the PCL and RBIs at 69 or 70, uh, playing a really good outfield. Uh, he really, really excels in right field. And 
just the way he plays is such an example for the younger guys to watch him run everything out, to watch him give 100% on every single play, to never take a batting practice shag session off, to even if he's not playing that day. Just what he brings to the clubhouse as far as leadership, and, and then you look at what he's done on the field, um, to me, he's just a winning player at this level and the next next level. I just can't say enough good things about Cody Thomas. And he's excited to play here tonight because the only game he's ever played at Chickasaw Ballpark was the uh, the Oklahoma Oklahoma State game, and he wants to play here as a AAA player. So yeah, that's awesome. I mean, he's you know we we got to see him briefly, but we know he's been injured. I try and tell people you don't get recruited to play quarterback at Oklahoma unless you're one hell of an athlete. Uh, Kyle Muller got sent down. What have you seen? How has he progressed? Where are we with the big left-hander? I, I, I think Kyle's in a really good place. He had a fantastic start his last time out um, against a really good hitting team in Reno. He is throwing strikes with all four pitches. He is commanding his off-speed better, so his fastball is playing up. And he already has an elite fastball to start, so it's just a matter of, of him getting to a point and, uh, you know, having the confidence to go back up and do what he has shown here at, at the major league level. And that's basically just commanding his four pitch mix and, you know, commanding his fastball because the stuff is all plus and the competitiveness and uh, the aggressiveness and the way he attacks is all there. It's just a matter of refining it, which is what he is making, a, you know, the, the, the adjustments here to have success at the next level and getting that confidence back that, that he is an elite major league starter, which in my opinion, he is. Let's end on this. And we always appreciate the time. We know you got to get rolling. Uh, when we look at guys that we've seen before at the major league level or guys that we're waiting to see, who's really throwing the ball for you well down there right now? Well, um, Rico Garcia has, has been really consistent for us out of the, out of the pen. Um, you know, Aller has had his moments where he's had really good starts, and then he gets a, you know, a little bit of, a little bit wonky out of the strike zone or a little bit too much over the plate. But he's had some really good outings as well. Um, you know, there's there's been some other guys that have performed well in the bullpen that, you know, uh, just are looking for a little bit more consistency. But there there are some guys in in the conversation I know that hopefully can help the major league team soon. Hey, before you know it, we're going to be talking about Bill's Mafia and training camp. I can't wait for that day. <laughs> we always appreciate the time. You're the best. Be well and continued success with the Aviators. Okay, thanks for having me. Mark, welcome to A's Cast Live. How are you? Doing okay. How are you? Well, uh, I'm jealous. You're covering a first-place team that's won 11 in a row. It's got to feel it's got it's to be a little bit more fun when you're writing and talking about this team certainly gotten a lot more interesting just because the uh the way they win the way they play and and how they go about it it's certainly you know after last season when they lost 100 games you know it just no one could have expected this you know what i'm saying uh, no doubt about it you know we've had years in oakland where you know nobody even everybody predicted last place and next you know you win the division but i mean i think about cincinnati where we were talking about how they haven't won 12 games in a row since 1957, and Frank Robinson was 21 years old. That's a long time, but that kind of tells you how good the streak is right now. 
It is, and another member of that team was David Bell's grandfather, Gus Bell, who was an all-star <laughs> outfielder for that team. So that that really, he, and he knows about that team just because he's always listened to stories from his grandfather. They were very close when when David was growing up. So he's he's familiar with that team. He's familiar with the team's history. Certainly, growing up in Cincinnati, and streaks like this certainly don't come around the corner very often. Obviously, Oakland had a movie made about one of their streaks, but uh, exactly the Reds have not gotten to twenty before. But twelve is a that's what the 57 team won, and that's what the Reds will be aiming for next against Atlanta on Friday. You know, when you have somebody that's making a little bit of dough and they're somebody that, you know, has some street cred in the game and they're struggling and you just go, you know what, we're going to make the move because we're going to continue to go young. When someone like Will Myers is taken out of that clubhouse, what does it do for it from a positive standpoint saying, hey, love the guy. We know he's a great guy, but we got to go younger and we got to stay aggressive with the youth movement. Yeah, I wrote about that today. Uh, it, it, it speaks volumes for the clubhouse. You, you talk to a player or two and, and it's like they know they're young, they know they're hungry, and they know that they have to earn their way onto the roster. And they feel like with the way they've played, a lot of these players have done that. And it the Reds of the past might have said, "Well, he's making seven and a half million. We're gonna we're gonna ride him until we can any longer, or because he's a veteran and he's got a track record. We're not gonna do that to a veteran." But they said, "You know what? The best twenty six players are already on this team, and and Will Myers has been injured the last few weeks. He's not one of our better twenty six, so they moved on from him. And that does speak a lot to the clubhouse. It gives them a lot of confidence, and I think that shows uh, the way they've been playing." Well, I got to tell you, De La Cruz, uh, he just looks amazing. 6'5". I mean, the first time I saw him quit pitch and we saw the highlight, I was like, how tall is this kid? Because he's a beast. I mean, 6'5", runs like the wind. I mean, obviously, since he's come up, the team was won 13 to 15. You look at the numbers. But you've gotten to watch him every day. Is there a comp? Do you have anything that you've watched you say, this is what he looks like? Because... The physical stature, the all-around talent, this kid just looks like off the charts. There really isn't. I mean, he gets compared to O'Neill Cruz from the Pirates. That's a more, you know, peer-to-peer kind of thing. Uh, sometimes Eric Davis comes to mind just because Eric Davis had a lot of the, the different tools and was a, a physical specimen, but he certainly wasn't 6'5". And then the power, you look at the exit velocity, and only really Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton match what that what, what De La Cruz does. So there's not wow. really a, a, a one-to-one comparison, but he's got all five tools, and he, and he does a lot of things really well and very naturally. It's funny because when they, when they signed him out of the Dominican, he was a scrawny, barely six-foot-tall guy, and they got him for $65,000. And he had some tools, but they, they weren't sure exactly what they had, and as he's grown and, and developed, he's become this once-in-a-generation prospect for the organization. Yeah, it, it's it, it, it's one of those type deals where you think about all the different great Reds players through all these years. I mean, you mentioned Eric the Red was so incredible. Barry Larkin, a Hall of Famer. We go back to the Big Red Machine. I mean, Joe Morgan, Oakland Zone. You throw Bench. Uh, Hall of Famers, I mean, even throwing the great Pete Rose, who's from Cincinnati, going back to Frank Robinson. I mean, Cincinnati, through all these years, has been one of the great base, baseball organizations that has had a lot of great players. But, I mean, this might be the next coming. If you start talking about all those great players, this kid at 21 years old, I mean, what's in front of him is just unreal. Yeah, he's still learning the league. He's still – prone to striking out uh, but at the same time he's not getting like embarrassed at the plate he 
even when he strikes out, he has a pretty good at bat. I think the only time I saw him go down on three pitches was against uh, Clayton Kershaw. So that's not exactly uh, embarrassing. You know, he's one of the best of all time. So uh, he just, he can do a lot of things to you in any way. Like he can hit a ball a hundred miles an hour, you know, with exit velocity for an infield single, or he can, he can hit a blooper like he did today for a double. And he's just got that much speed is, is, is zero to, his, uh, his sprint speed is like over 30 feet per second. He's an elite runner, and he's, he's able to do a lot of things in the field. He's got, he can throw 100 miles an hour if he needs to. So it's just there's a lot of different things he can do to beat you. And I know the GM has recently talked about potentially being buyers at the deadline. Yes. What would that be like for Cincinnati to be buyers now? Well, they definitely have some needs, and that's another kind of getting back to what you asked about Will Myers. That would also send a good message to the clubhouse. They want to try to take advantage of this opportunity. This was supposed to be a rebuilding year, but they're they're obviously in, in win mode now, and, and they want to keep the young guys together, but they also want to add some pieces, and there's no place that needs more help right now than their starting rotation. Their big three starters are all on the injured list. Uh, Ashcraft will be back this weekend, but Hunter Green and – Nick Lodolo might be out for a little while, and, and they could use some help. They have one of the worst rotations in the league, and they're still doing this, which has been a testament to their offense and to their bullpen. So uh, they're going to be looking for some, some rotation help. They're going to be looking for some extra bullpen help, and uh, that will send another message to the clubhouse that this is a, a team that has a front office that has confidence in the team. Yeah, I know that was something that when the Reds were in town and we talked to Jeff Brantley about it, it was he was talking about he wasn't he wasn't thr- the old cowboy wasn't thrilled with how deep the starters go in games back then. Yeah, they and they still aren't. There's a lot of uh, Andrew Abbott gave them some a uh, little bit of length today, six innings, but uh, they definitely have to find uh, more uh, more innings than that. They 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 really only average about four to third to five innings per start uh, all up and down the rotation. So they, they really are kind of patching it together right now. Abbott's been a great addition, but they, they need some of their, the guys that they already have to, to go a little longer and save the bullpen. The bullpen has been well taxed and eventually they do wear out. Uh, it, it does happen. And that's, that's what they want to avoid. You know, Joey Votto has been a player that's seen a lot of rebuilding. So, uh, you know, you wonder how will the veteran guy fit with the young guys, I, I love Joey Votto. I think he's got one of the best personalities that we have in baseball. Obviously, I'm not in the clubhouse from afar. I would think he'd fit in great with the kids. Uh, but what are your thoughts about Joey Votto with this team? Yeah, there were a lot of questions about that as he was getting closer and closer to being activated. But the really, Votto says it himself, is that he's just trying to fit in. He, he kind of feels like he's entering a team that's already there or that he just got called up or almost like he got traded to the Reds the team he's been with his entire career, yeah. but he, uh, you know, he's just trying to fit in. He knows that if he doesn't play well, that he probably won't play. And he certainly wants to, to measure up to the rest of the guys. He's been, been a very good clubhouse presence. Even during his injury, he's really transformed himself into more of a leader and more outgoing. He was very kind of uh, insular, insular, excuse me, and didn't really, you know, lead with with his voice he led by example and now he's really just come out of his shell more and he's he's more than happy to help a guy if he approaches him and I think that that really does help and he's really definitely bought into the, what they're doing right now he's energized by it and certainly at 39 years old and in the final year of his contract with the Reds he's got an option for next year but this might be his best chance to to get back to the playoffs and, and maybe do something the Reds have not won a playoff series since they've had Joey Votto Let's end on this, as this might be it for Joey Votto. If it is it, and he retires, Cincinnati Red, 
obviously probably a statue guy and everything. Do you think he's a baseball Hall of Famer? Definitely, yes. I think if he didn't play another game today, after today, he's still a Hall of Famer. Uh, you just look at what he's done in, in his era. There's not a lot of guys that have done what he's done, and there's certainly not a lot of guys that have done what he's done in this era after the age of 35. He was nearly an MVP in 2017. He had 36 homers in 21. Uh, certainly he had a really bad year last year. No no parsing that. The, the shoulder was, was barking. He had surgery. He's going to have a lot to come back from this season. The odds are not in his favor, but he had a great first game, and, and we'll see what happens. But, yes, I think he's a Hall of Fame. I got to tell you, that, that, that in-game interview he did, the Field of Dreams game, was one of the best I've ever seen. And you're like, why didn't he do this his entire career? He's got one of the great personalities that we have in baseball. Yeah, and, you know, when he was injured last season and missed the last uh, two months of the season, he was uh, regular on uh, Reds TV and Reds on radio. So he, he's, uh, he's definitely got some broadcast chops, which was interesting to see, and he seems like he's pretty natural at it. We appreciate the time. Uh, it, it's fun in Cincinnati right now, having won 11 in a row in first place. So we'll see. Somebody's got to win the NL Central. We say about the AL Central also. So this is going to be a fun summer in Cincinnati. And uh, enjoy the ride, and let's talk later in the season. All right. Take care, and thank you very much. Thank you. Mark Sheldon from MLB.com. That's what we do here at Ace Cast. We cover the entire league. We cover everybody. Do we have my friend Bob Nightingale on the line? Bob, how are you? I'm here, buddy. I got to tell you, when you put out an article, I absolutely, I I love when you do one of those articles where you like go all the way around the league like you just did because there's so many things going on and it kind of gives you an idea of what's happening in baseball. The last one you did, USA Today, was fabulous. Thanks so much, buddy. No, I appreciate it. You know, obviously the owners' meeting. What was the you know before we get into A stuff? What was the number one thing you took away from the owners' meetings? Uh, maybe just maybe just the A thing, and obviously there was no re- reason for uh, you know the commissioner to say what he did. You know, you don't rub it in their face. Uh, I, I think he takes that back. I think it was just you know it's like everybody's jumping on the uh, you know hey should the A stay and the, the reverse boycott thing. So I think kind of put his foot in his mouth a little bit. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing. It just I, I didn't think he'd talk that long about uh, the A's. You know, I, I if I think about commissioners, I mean, Roger Goodell has done the same thing over the years. You know, some of these commissioners, as we know, they work for the owners, and that is their job. Uh, but they're not great public speakers compared to David Stern, who, God rest his soul, was an unbelievable commissioner and he was fantastic with the NBA. But but the thing about David Stern, that he was great with the media. So you could be a great commissioner and not be great with the media. No, absolutely. I mean, with the Rob Manford, I mean, he's making a ton of money for these owners. Yeah. Uh, with the uniform patches and everything they've got going on, uh, you know, moving the A's to Vegas, you know, kind of you know, ramrodding that through. Uh, you know, they love him because he makes a lot of money. The TV network, the TV things, adding Peacock and Apple and all that stuff. So you're absolutely right. Instead of, you know, naming the commissioner, it should be really the, uh, the owner's boss. <laughs> 
So the you know we'll just do one thing on the A's because uh, we just we're, we're staying away from all the stuff that's away from the field. We're concentrating on the field. But the big question will be in the next few weeks is will the owners seventy five percent of them vote yes for relocation? Uh, covering the meetings, what did you come away with on that one? No, absolutely, that's a no brainer. I mean, I'd be sh- I'd be shocked if it's not one hundred percent. So I think they'll get 30 or 30 votes because that's what, you know, that's what baseball wants. That's what Rob Manfred wants. Uh, you know, it's not against the fans. It's just against, you know, they, they spent 20 years of trying to get a new stadium and the owners are tired of it. Like how many, how many years we could keep giving money to the A's. They're no closer to getting a stadium now, you know, than they were, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, I, I think the San Francisco Giants should have let them move to San Jose. I, I think that was a big problem. I would love, you know, if they don't have a place to stay after 2024, I think the Giants will let them uh, share their complex. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure they won't at Oracle Park, but they should. Uh, there, there was certainly plenty of room for two two, uh, two teams there. So, you know, it's not it's not the fans' fault, the MLB's fault. I just think, you know, whatever the uh, the political part was, you know, that, that's, that was a problem. I mean, you got to play in a different ballpark. Uh, the Coliseum wasn't working. That thing got so run down. And players were complaining, too. And the players' union said, hey, how much longer are we going to stay at this place? Yeah, that's something that's, you know, that's been happening in baseball on a lot of different issues that you don't really hear much in the past. But players have been really speaking up, and the players' union has been going to bat for them. Uh, but the one thing from your article that – uh, it wasn't a big part of the article, but it stands large to me because we talked about it with you. Actually, if you remember back at the winter meetings in San Diego, it's like Boston is not acting like Boston. I mean, they've got all this money. They've got the highest ticket prices. They're the Boston Red Sox. Heim Bloom has come in, and we've kind of joked he's he's run a big market club like the Rays. You're hearing that between Cora, Bloom, Things are not so copacetic in Boston. What are you hearing with the Red Sox? No, it's not like the Red Sox that we know them. You know, not, that, not they don't have the big names. Uh, you know, they got you know they're kind of fishing on the you know <laughs> you know fishing on the bottom of the barrel there as far as grabbing guys. You know, you don't have to do that. You're the Red Sox, and they're acting like a small market team, almost the way Heim Bloom was in Tampa. You know, say, saying that, I'm not saying it's High and Blue's fault. It's the ownership's fault. You know, the other ones can say, yeah, let's spend some more money here, and they're not doing it. So I blame the owner more than High and Bloom. But, I mean, of course, he was, you know, he ended up being rehired by Bloom, but he wasn't the first choice. It was almost like, okay, we'll take him back. I think there was pressure to take him back. So I think he's used to yeah, having some more input here. Let's get things right. Uh, I don't think they're both going to be back in 2024. I really don't. That's interesting because Cora has been really kind of um, going up there in the wins. He's getting up there in wins pretty fast. It's been impressive. If you had to bet which one of them doesn't return, which guy would you say? I would say Bloom doesn't return, but – if he doesn't, re- if he does return, then I think Cora may ask out and say, you know what, let me go elsewhere. Let me be, uh, you know, free agent and join another team. So that, that's why I think I just don't 
think that they're, they're both back. You know, and I think David Stearns, if he doesn't show up in the Mets, he's going to show up with the Boston Red Sox. But I think there's going to be a, uh, a, a change somewhere there. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, even the other day, I think Cora, you know, said something about, hey, this is the roster I have. What are you expecting to do? And we'll give a slap at Bloom. Well, speaking of wanting out, we've heard the rumblings. You had it in your article. The Chicago White Sox. Things are not good on the south side. I mean, all you got to look, all you gotta, all you got to do is look at uh, their season and the White Sox at 32 and 43, uh, and a disappointment again. I mean, you got Kenny Williams has been there for years. Rick Hahn has been there for years. What is going on the south side? What's going on with the south side? And what do you do with all these players? Is it time to make trades? It is time to make trades. I mean, you can't live on 2005 forever, and that's what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I get so sick and tired of them, you know, kind of ripping uh, Trey LaRussa. So, okay, it's Tony's fault. You know, really? He's the only guy who's won division title, you know, since yeah. 2005 or 2006, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, he should get in a second plaque in the Hall of Fame for doing that. So, yeah, at some point, those guys have to look at themselves in the mirror, saying, okay, you keep hiring different managers. You hire the first-year manager. They made a huge blunder by not hiring Bruce Bochy. I mean, Bochy's got the same team pretty much that everybody else had in Texas, uh, particularly DeGrom, you know, hardly pitching, and they're winning. So they should have hired, you know, on Bochy, and they refused to even interview him. You know, huge mistake. Well, I, yeah, and when you mentioned Bruce Bochy, and, you know, he's been good to us here on A's Cast Live in the past, and he, he he's a great man. Uh, we don't like the Texas Rangers, as you know, but you have to be very happy for him because, you know, Bochy didn't want to get out of baseball. He wasn't ready to retire, and he's showing you the kind of baseball guy that he is and the kind of leader that he is. And I know you're good friends with Bruce Bochy. Just how happy are you for him and at least a good start for the Texas Rangers? Yeah, I think most of baseball, the baseball veterans are thrilled for Bruce Bochy. But you're absolutely right. It's not like he wanted to leave uh, San Francisco. You saw the writing on the wall, like, okay, if I'm not wanted, I'm not going to stay here. Uh, it's a new regime here. It's not Brian Sabian. So, uh, no, he's such a he's such a great person. You know, forget the baseball part. Just that's a great person that you're thrilled for him. You know, like you know, like a Dusty Baker type thing. Yeah, and Dusty Baker, obviously, that was fantastic for him when the World Series last year, but. They're dealing with a lot of injuries. They're dealing with loss of players. What's your take right now on the first half of the Houston Astros? I'll tell you what, they've had so many, so many injuries. Uh, it's unbelievable how many injuries they've had. So they're staying in the hunt. So bad for Dusty, missing that three-pitch rotation. You know, miss Altuve for two months. Brentley still hasn't returned. You know, Jordan Alvarez, you know, the big stud. You know, he's not coming back until the end of July. So, you know, kudos to Dusty for keeping that team in the race like they are. But it's been it's been tough, tough sledding here. You know, and you mentioned, too, that the Los Angeles Dodgers, I hadn't thought about it, but, man, the Dodgers pitching has pretty much always been good. I mean, that you know, before the juice ball and the juice players, Bob, back in the day, we used to talk about Dodger Stadium was a great pitcher's ballpark. Well, one of the reasons why is they've always had great pitching. 
Well, for the first time, looking up here, and you see the Dodgers in third place right now, four games behind the Diamondbacks, they've got major problems with their pitching. Yeah, they really do. They, they, you know, Urias is out for so long. I think they thought they'd be short. It's not. I mean, I mean, Kershaw is pitching like Kershaw. Yeah. He may be the all-star starter again. Uh, it's amazing what he's doing, keeping that team afloat. And, you know, for a while, uh, they're bringing it back. Is he retiring? You know, that sort of thing. But, yeah, and the thing about the Dodgers is, you know, they, they still got so many top prospects. You know, they have when the kids from AA uh, start the other night for them. But, you know, scouts that go to the AA team and with the single-A team a year ago say those five starters are all going to be front-line starters. It's amazing what they do developing players. It really is. It, it, I mean, they are one of the model franchises. There's, there's no question. I mean, I, it helps to have all that money, but what they've been able to do down there and Andrew Friedman and to continue to win and to continue to bring guys up are so – it's so impressive. Uh, when you think of Bob Melvin and the the San Diego Padres, they continue to be under 500. When you think of Buck Showalter and the New York Mets continue to be under 500, the financial commitments by these two franchises, obviously it's a major, major di- disappointment. What are you hearing about the Mets and what are you hearing about the Padres? Well, I feel uh, bad for Bob Melvin. It's just, you know, uh, you know the team he has is thrown out there, but just – What's that assemble good? It's so top-heavy. When you got 11 All-Stars, it just drops off. And your top four, top five hitters are, you know, absolute studs. It drops off. They don't have that depth. Uh, you know, I know he's frustrated, too. Uh, I think if the Padres don't make the playoffs, it'll be the, uh, you know, the biggest disappointment, the biggest underachieving team in baseball history. I really do. Uh, you know, the Mets obviously have a uh, – their payroll is the largest in baseball history. But I think the Padres would be a bigger disappointment. Yeah, and, and I and I kind of worry because I know the relationship between A.J. Preller and Bob Melvin isn't great. I kind of worry about the future of Bob Melvin down there. Well, I mean, he, I mean, he's such a great manager. You know, he's you know doing what he has. I mean, it's a construction of the roster. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 hate, I hate to see this happening to him. Because I, I think he's got a chance to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, if they, uh, you know, can get to the World Series, you know, win a World Series one day, you know, as you know, just a, a, a fabulous human being. But man, they're underachieving. There's no way in the world this team should be under 500. And if people are picking this team to win the World Series, they may not make the playoffs. I, you know, you know, Bob, we spend so much time, especially like down at the winter meetings, talking about money, talking about free agency, talking about money spent. And I know that's what our sport is built on. I think it's kind of tired because when you look up, all of a sudden I see Tampa in first place in the AL East. I see the Cincinnati Reds in first place in the NL Central. And I see the Arizona Diamondbacks in first place in the National League West. It just goes to show spending the most money and winning the, win, winning the winter meetings and, and, and spending the most in the winter doesn't mean anything. I mean, just talk about what we're seeing in Cincinnati and Tampa and Arizona. They're great stories for our game. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, how many times do you know, these teams win the winter and they're a bust in the summer? And, you know, now the Padres are doing that. It's like, okay, you know, everybody's saying, oh, look, you know, look what they've done, spend the money. Uh, they're going to the World Series and absolute bust. I can't remember the last time now a team won the winter 
and still won the summer. It just doesn't happen. You know, kudos to, uh, you know, all those teams. You know, kudos to Tampa Bay Rays for doing it year after year after year in the AL East. You know, it's one thing, that, you know, like the Reds, we the NL West, I mean, NL Central. Uh, you know, the Diamondbacks, you know, they're playing well. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know how long they can sustain that. But for the Tampa Bay Rays to do that, I think they're the best team in baseball. Uh, is mind-boggling. It just shows, you know, they're outsmarting everybody. And, I, I mean, I, I got to throw in the Marlins. That's a great story. And also a classic. I mean, we grew up with, Bob, the Oriole way. The Orioles are one of the great franchises. They had great battles against the A's back in the day. And here they are in second place. They've actually done real well against Tampa. They're playing against them right now in a series. I just talk about the rebirth of the Baltimore Orioles. It's so great to see. I mean, their general manager was a uh, you know former assistant general manager of Houston, and they're taking that whole blueprint. Saying, okay, you know, they must average like 110 losses a year for about three straight years there, and uh, and now they're winning. I think if anybody can topple Tampa for the uh, AL East, I think they're the only team that's got a chance to do so. I think they're that good. Uh, but yeah, and they got I think they have the second smallest payroll in baseball. So they can make some moves to the deadline. They can certainly pick up some free agents. But, you know, it was a painful process, but it, it's working out where, you know, when you mentioned the White Sox, what the window was open for about a year and a half. You know, I think Orioles' window is going to be open for quite a while. And that's the way to – if you want to rebuild, that's the way to do it. If, you know, same with the Reds. I know they made the playoffs in 2020, the COVID year. But, man, what a what a quick rebuild they have. All right, let's end on this. I want you to look into your crystal ball. There's a lot more buyers than sellers on the market. We got about a little over a month ago. Are you hearing anything, a big name that we're not thinking about that potentially could get moved at the deadline? I'm not sure there's a you know, name that we're not thinking about, but I, I think you know, a lot of teams are looking at okay, the uh, Chicago Cubs, hoping they fall in the race. Because he's got uh, Marcus Stroman has an opt out, and you know if they're on the race, you might as well move him, and you know he's he could be a difference maker. Uh, I think teams are rooting against the Chicago White Sox and St. Louis Cardinals. If you get a Jack Flaherty, a Lance Lynn uh, in that bullpen, and Joe Kelly, uh, Kendall Graveman, you know that'd be fabulous. Uh, and then you know St. Louis, you know if you get a, uh, a Montgomery there, a Jack Flaherty, a Jordan Hicks in the bullpen. And some of those guys. So I think if those teams are on the race, you know, it could be a spicy trade deadline. If those teams are still in the race, I think we could have the dullest trade deadline in a decade. Could could a guy like Paul Goldschmidt get moved? No, I've seen rumors of that. I, I don't think there's any, any way in the world. Uh, Sam Arenado, just, you know, too big of names, too big of icons. You know, it's like, no, I, I do not see that. I'd be absolutely shocked. Uh, you know, those guys. And they'd love to see Paul Goldsmith go in the Hall of Fame wearing a Cardinal uniform, same with Nolan Arenado. So, no, I I think they're as safe as, uh, you know, like Otani is. You can't trade those guys. You really can't. Well, still the best sports page there is, USA Today, and I still get Sports Weekly, so I get all my Bob Nightingale articles. I'm always supporting, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the program, and we'll talk soon. All right, look forward to it. Thanks so much, buddy. Bob Nightingale from the USA Today.
we got Kylie on from Arizona down there at the uh, MLB Combine. I got to watch a little bit on TV. It's not as exciting as the NFL Combine, but you're there. Uh, I got to tell you, it was awful television. How is it down there? It's going pretty well. I was actually just uh, sitting a suite with Enrique Bradfield Jr. from Vanderbilt. that will go in the top half of the first round. Jessica Mendoza is here doing some of our interviews from the draft broadcast. Eric Long and Hagen, Michael Bauman from Fangraphs are here. Some of the guys from Baseball America. Uh, there, there hasn't necessarily been a guy that was like a fifth-round prospect and became a first-round prospect. Generally, guys that will go in the top 50 picks are not participating on field here because they don't have much to gain. But there's a ton of guys that I thought would sign for 300K that I'm realizing are actually worth 700K. Or guys that I thought would go in the fifth round, and now they'll go in like the third round. There's like a lot of, or like, you know, really firming up a guy that looks like he might go in the second round. Now it looks like he definitely will. That's kind of like the tier at which uh, the guys are participating. And it's not that different than the NFL combine where like the top quarterbacks don't really have a reason to yeah. throw. A lot of the like, you know, Wyatt Langford, Drew, uh, Dylan Cruz, those kinds of guys who are obviously in Omaha right now, they don't, have a, they don't need to have anything to prove. They've been playing on these fields for like three years with like TrackMan data and Hawkeye and everything. Like there's nothing to be gained from coming here, which is, is also an effect that happens in the NFL. So that's, that's kind of the weakness that they're trying to work around. But there's a lot of really good players here, especially in that like, 300k up to a million there's a ton of guys in that tier here so it makes it a lot easier to try to sort through them when i'm doing my rankings so we talked to david force our general manager about the combine and he says the number one thing is is to get that suite and be able to meet these guys and really talk to these guys because that's something in the past you know obviously football would do the nba would do baseball didn't do so would you see that as the number one strength of this combine yeah we get to see what these guys look like athletically but it's the fact that you get a half hour with each of these guys in your own suite where you really get to know them yes i was told there's at least 10 gms that have come through for these meetings uh because it's so useful you don't have to fly guys out and have private workouts to then be able to talk to them you can kind of run through a lot of them here there's been i think there's over 100 more players here this year than there were last year i was just talking to some of the guys at mlb and they said that they have been mindfully keeping track of how many interviews in a row the, the players are asked to do because there's a level of fatigue you don't quite get the best version of themselves so they've really tried to dial that in it's been sort of like you know it's like a three four day experience where a lot of the kids are here for two, two or three days to try to spread everything out because there's so much demand to talk to them, and they don't want to get on a plane 30 times. It doesn't make sense logistically to do that. So a lot of it's happening here, and obviously ESPN, FanGraphs, uh, Baseball America, a lot of the other publications are also getting access to the players and getting to learn a little bit more because that used to be the weakness of what I do is I come from a scouting background with the team. I want to be able to sign off on a kid's makeup and say I really trust and believe in them the way yeah. a team does. And now we're getting a little more of an opportunity to do that. So I can kind of trust my rankings a little more than you could a couple years ago when I wasn't getting that kind of access. So, I, you know, I think about, yeah, your career, whether, what was it? You were Yankees, Orioles, Braves. Who else were you? And Pirates, yeah. So, Kudos, I mean, we're getting three out of four. That's, I was going to ask you about your Orioles, by the way. They're uh, playing really good baseball. But from a standpoint, if you go back to your scouting days, how do you view the Combine as a big positive? Yeah, it is super useful, like I said, for the tons of guys to be able to talk to them, get a feel for them. Rather than one or two of your scouts, your area scout and your regional scout will get to know them well. Yeah. You want your West Coast guy to meet some of the East Coast guys that you like in the third or fourth round. That's not you, you don't usually have the bandwidth to do that as a scouting organization. There's also a handful of dudes. Like there was a guy, uh, Gavin Adams. I, I knew the name. I knew he'd been throwing hard. Uh, there's a guy named Jake Madden that went in the fourth round last year to the Angels out of another junior college in Florida similar kind of player 
And I know some teams were like on him. I had a conversation. Um, and the process of getting to talk to him, getting some data of him on a mound, getting five or six scouts, some guys that haven't seen him before that are from other areas or other regions of your staff, getting to do that complete evaluation, a watered-down version of it. You want to have, you know, 10, 12 looks in games and years of history and all that kind of stuff. But for a guy that hasn't been on data or you haven't had a meeting with yet or maybe was injured for part of the season or is a cold-weather high school player, for whatever reason you haven't done the full eval yet, you can do a sped-up version of it for literally hundreds of players here. And so that allows a lot of guys, like I said, in that he's going to get 250K in the 13th round to now get 500K in the fourth round. Like you can make that jump and like dozens of guys could conceivably make that jump all at the same event for a couple of days. Well, uh, I can tell a lot of the kids listening, there's a big difference between 250K and 500K. Especially for like going somewhere for three days. Like it's, it's not like you have to go join a league and play for a month. Like it's not that heavy of a lift. Yeah, they put you in a sweet hotel in Arizona, and you just made an extra two hundred and fifty grand. I do that any day of the week. And you're on TV. It's a free trip, like you know, yeah. subsidized by MLB because they want to turn this into a TV event and an event for uh, clubs. And it's now an event. Like I'm sitting in a we ESPN has two suites here. Fangrass has their own suite. Like they're providing to try to make this more of an event to try to make incentivize everyone to come essentially because, like I said, there's not incentives for guys in the top 50 picks to really be here. There's incentives for everyone else to be here. And so they want to try to build some momentum. And I think they're doing a good job building that momentum now that they've done that three or four years now. All right. The number one thing, because what we really know is the NFL combine because it's become so big and we, we, we see all the different skill drills that they do, but the big star at the combine is running the 40. And now we've had for years, the joke of rich Eisen running the 40. Uh, so if the 40-yard dash at the, NFL, at the NFL Combine is the star, what is the star drill at this Combine that tells you the most that you need to know? So they're basically every you know hour or two, there's a series, either a game or a series of guys throwing bullpens, that, depending on the level of effort they want to put in. But they throw the metrics, the track band metrics, on the board. So you'll see the velocity, the spin rate, vertical horizontal movement, all that stuff on the board for every pitch. Uh, in the same way, when guys are taking BP, you'll see a guy hit a home run, and I'll be like, oh, okay, that's, you know, 55-grade power. Do it from my scouting point of view. And then I'll look at the monitor from the suite that I'm in, and it'll say 106 off the bat, 32-degree loft. And you can, like, easily and objectively compare that to another guy because a lot of times we'll see guys that we think have good power. They're not hitting it that hard. They're just hitting it at just the right angle often, which is another skill that's important. But you'd like to know how much sort of raw juice is in there and so the ability to see, I would say, exit velo and velocity are probably the two big numbers, whether it's hitters or pitchers, where you can sort of check yourself in real time, which doesn't really exist. at Like when you're at an LSU game, they don't throw like the exit velo on the board immediately. Yeah. It was a little bit of a lag at least, and you're here you're getting it immediately. No, that, that is awesome. I mean, when you're, when you're, from a scouting perspective and you're reporting back to a team, what, how tough is it when you have maybe two, three, or four guys? You maybe like all four. But all four are very similar. Yeah, that, that's where the information you can gather here ends up being a tiebreaker. Because, like, I have been in conversations where you're in the 12th round, you have 250K to give to one player, you have four, you know, college righties yeah. that are all the same, will sign, all that kind of thing. And if one of the guys you're not sure about him as a person because you turned him in late, you don't, you don't have, like, history with him as a human being, is he going to reflect well at this level of prospect? This guy has to be a plus makeup guy or we don't want to sign him that guy is the first guy that gets cut. And then the second guy is like, oh, well, only the area scout has seen him. That supervisor that covers the entire region, four or five area scouts, if he hasn't seen him, then that guy gets cut next. 
And then eventually you'll get to like the R&D guy will be like, oh, well, we don't have any data on this guy. He didn't come to our private workout and they don't have a TrackMan unit at their field. Then that guy gets cut. And so you essentially, like I've, I've experienced this selling a house before, you want to have an answer for every objection. You don't want to give people a reason to not make an offer. You want to give them everything they can have. And I think the agents now fully understand this. And so that's why you're seeing the first combine agents are like, why should I come? I can only lose money unless I'm a 10th, 15th rounder. And now they're like, hey, I'm a fourth rounder, but I might be a third rounder. And just like being willing to like have a meeting, give the data, get on the field, be competitive. You can't really lose that much because you have an entire season of, of the evaluation getting you to where you are. One bad outing is not going to think that whole thing. But one really good outing and giving more information could rise you up the board. Yeah, Kylie, I love your house. It's a beautiful house. I wish you had an extra bathroom. I like the front. I like the back. But you also got a problem with your roof. I'm a little worried. Yeah, and if Brian Cashman talked to him for 30 minutes, all of a sudden that roof doesn't become a problem because we, we talked to the roof. We got to know the roof, and it turns out it's okay. We had some concerns, but we, those, have, you know, those have dried up. We don't have those concerns anymore. All right, so Ese Uri Ruiz, our guy in the big leagues right now, our center fielder, is leading baseball in stolen bases. Speed is back in vogue, baby. We want speed. We want athleticism. Look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. They got a bunch of young athletic guys. It's working there. So what are the drills? What are they doing with these guys to show athleticism and speed? Is there like a 100-yard dash or a 40-yard dash? What are we doing there? So the, the typical sort of baseball measure for this, this is one of the first things I learned when I was scouting, is there's two different ways to measure speed. There is uh, running to first base, which obviously, is, you know, righty, lefty have two different scales, mm-hmm. and you can measure is it a good jump or a bad jump sort of visually and make adjustments. Like, it's, it's a little fraught with some subjective information, but you can understand how you can see it now with StatCast, obviously, uh, uh, objectively, that they'll measure it. But, you know, do it by hand. I was late. I was early, whatever. The other thing you do is when you're doing like sort of a showcase style workout where it's, you know, batting practice, infield, whatever, they run the 60 yard dash. And so there was also a number where basically 7.0 is an average time and each tenth of a lower you go to 6.9 would be at 55, one notch above average uh, and so on. And then like, you know, 6.263 is basically like a guy that's the NFL wide receiver. It's an 80 runner. Um, so they'll be doing that, I believe, tomorrow, which I won't be here for that. Um, but they'll be doing the 60 and they'll be doing a number of other sports science-based things like jumping on a force plate, putting a uh, sensor on the bat knob and taking some swings, uh, a bunch of advanced things that I would say the 10 to 12 quote progressive smartest teams tend to be really into that stuff because all 30 teams aren't on it yet. Don't quite understand it yet. And I know of like at least one team that like they look at a thousand frame per second video of the last thing a pitcher does before his front foot hits the ground, that little step over move. Uh, and they think that that perfectly predicts future velocity better than present velocity. Really? So when they can get somebody and they'll put like a force plate on the end of the mound and have them just do their delivery. And the kids don't even know that like what they're measuring is how they how hard their foot hits the ground essentially predicts future velocity better because that is a proxy for like sort of the twitch in your body, your athleticism, your explosion in your hips, all of that sort of builds into that same thing. And places like Tread and Driveline have been measuring stuff like this with like the Marcoless motion capture, things like that. That's sort of the cutting edge. And MLB has been doing versions of this for teams that is data they all get to share for the last couple of years. I've been saying this for the longest time just because I know about it because my brother has been uh, a pro in golf, a teaching pro. He's played professionally. My brother started t- My brother started testing 
on Trackman in the early 90s at Titleist out at Carlsbad in California. So it's like baseball has been so far behind golf. What you're talking about, the fast twitch, you're talking about being able to use the ground as leverage. It's like amazing, Kylie, all the stuff that we have now done in the last few years, they've been doing in golf since the 90s. Oh, yeah. Now, like, if you were, were to imagine, like, the histories of these two sports, Bryson DeChambeau and Josh Donaldson are essentially the same human being. They just play two different sports. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and that just led me to a lot of different things. I mean, I got to ask you the question about the owners' meetings where I know in football – they want to keep everybody the same. They want everybody using the same technology. They want everybody having the same amount of everything. They want all 32 teams to compete the same way. Baseball, it's a wild, wild west with your analytics department. We know there's a lot of teams out there that pay for data, uh, pay for all their data, if not some of their data. Baseball wants to rein that in a lot like football has done. Do you like that or do you hate it? Uh, I am, I think, the strongest proponent for the, uh, you know, manifest destiny uh, capitalism of American uh, life, where if I think I'm better than you, I want to be allowed to press that advantage as hard as I can, spend as much money to press that advantage as far as it can go. So the idea of we want to make everyone as equal as possible as a league and as an underperforming owner or executive or scout, I love that idea because you're basically subsidizing all the smart team stuff, giving it to me for free. And all the smart teams are continuing to try to look for places where they can stand out. I, I have actually one example for you. When I worked for the Braves, I was doing a hybrid role of both scouting and uh, front office stuff. And what was happening is if a high school team played a game in a big league stadium, which you'll see a lot of times like the, the state championships, things like that will happen in big league stadiums, that data would go to all 30 teams because the big league stadiums had TrackMan units and Hawkeye that were owned by MLB. <laughs> so essentially all 30 teams own, yeah. you know, in truest field. When we, when we worked there, all 30 teams would get that data. If they were to play the state championship game in the Braves AAA stadium, which at that point did not have Hawkeye, it was a Braves-owned TrackMan unit. We owned the data, and I would then email the Texas Rangers uh, guy that does the same thing I do, and I would trade for a college tournament worth of data that happened at their AA stadium at the beginning of the year – because Duke and Oregon State and Southern Miss all played it. We wanted data on some of their players, and they wanted to know about the Georgia State Championships played at our AAA stadium. That now has been outlawed, and all of that stuff gets shared between the teams because the yeah. owners didn't like the asymmetry of the data and having to do the trading, much less other situations where you actually pay for data out of pocket, which they definitely don't want to be doing if they don't have to. So what you're saying is in baseball, you don't like socialism, you like oh. capitalism. Yes, I'd like to think that's a that's a broadly uh, popular agenda for me to have as running for president of all of baseball. Okay, hey, and, and, and some of us may vote for you, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> looking at the College World Series, I know a lot of these guys, the high-round picks that are already there, some guys have already been knocked out, but how much stock do you put in to the College World Series, the regionals, the super regionals, when picking a guy? Uh, it is a very nice-to-have thing of a guy that you feel good about. Let's say, like, Wake Forest third baseman Brock Wilkin. I liked him in high school, loved him as a freshman at Wake Forest when he proved that he was better than I thought he was out of high school, liked him last year as a guy hitting a bunch of home runs. And then this year, I think scouts – I wouldn't say soured, but they went from, like, oh, this guy's going to go 10 to 20 overall in the draft to, like, maybe more, like, late first round to compensation round. Like, he just sort of moved down one tier, basically. And then late down the stretch and all this postseason stuff, he's been going bananas. And I think it's now worked his way back up to around, you know, 15 to 20 overall in the draft. 
he is benefiting by everyone seeing him do the thing they know he can do a little more often with the highest stakes against the best players while everyone's watching. I don't think he's fundamentally a different player than he was a month ago, but he's being treated like he's a little bit different. You'd like to have that when your GM, your owner, your president, whichever tier of baseball ops isn't really watching the players, and then late they come into the room and have a couple thoughts. You want that guy to be performing so you don't have to explain why you like the guy. You want them to understand why you like the guy. It makes it easier for you to then take an unpopular guy, maybe a 5'8 right-handed pitcher later in the draft, because all the guys you took earlier, you didn't have to spend any political capital on those guys. I got just two more here, and one is about the A's picking number six. A lot of people like him taking this Kyle Teal kid, catcher out of Virginia. The only thing is, to us non-scout people, we're like, man, all we do is draft catchers. We've acquired catchers. Last time I, last time I checked, you can only play one catcher at a time. Uh, do you like the? What do you like for the A's at number six? And would that be crazy to go with another catcher? So there's two different scenarios. The, this draft, it's, it's not a great year to be picking six because it's seen as a five-player draft. And so I would say it's an 80% chance those five players go in the first five picks, and then the A's get to pick the first player from the second cut. Um, if one of those five players gets through, doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter how much they want, just take them. It's easy. If that happens, like I said, you know, one in four, one in five shots, that one of those guys gets through, no problem, you take that guy. Now the situation we're talking about is the more likely one where all five of those guys are off and you get to pick from everybody else. I think given the situation, college hitter is kind of what the board is giving you. I think that also probably makes sense for the A's to try to be building up to be good as soon as possible. They, all things considered, they'd like a college guy. They'd like the safety of a position player, and that's what you have. So I think Jacob Gonzalez, shortstop at Ole Miss, has a chance to be a solid average, above average, uh, left-hand hitting shortstop with a nice mix of at least average or better at every tool. I think he is maybe the most likely guy to go there. And Teal, I think, is the other guy that's gaining a bunch of momentum uh, to the point where he actually might sneak into the top five. That would be great news because then that would push one of those top five talents down to Oakland. But Teal is a guy that's an above-average defender, long history. I liked him in high school, and he's made some adjustments. I don't love all the adjustments he's made to his swing, but his performance has gotten better, so you can't argue too much with it. But the idea would be solid-average offensive contributor at catcher and then above-average defender, good athlete, will age well. You can't play two catchers at the same time, but your job here is to get a player that will be good. Think of it like a stock that's going up. And if it turns out the stock goes up and him and Shea Langelier's stock both go up at the same time, either you're going to keep them both fresh and rotate them between catcher and DH and first base, or you're going to trade one of them. That's not a problem. you got to pick the right guy, pick the stock that's going up. That's what Oakland needs. All right, let's end on this. Uh, when you start thinking about, you, you, the, you know, you worked for the Orioles, you look at the success, they're off to their best start since 1997. You look at the Arizona Diamondbacks right now are leading the National League West. The A's, however you look at our situation, the way it's trending is that a new ballpark will open up in 2028. So that gives you ample time to kind of remake, reset, and prepare for this date. Who right now would you say in baseball is the model for rebuilding, starting from scratch, and building something that can win in the next few years? So the easy one, like the one Steve Cohen said when he bought the Mets, is the Dodgers, that they are sort of the gold standard team that is doing essentially everything at a top 10 level, if not top five, from player development to scouting to big leagues to analytics to understanding numbers, but also doing some gut feel stuff some coaching stuff, you know, putting all that stuff together. I would say that's probably not realistic given the market size. They can do some things that most other teams can't do. 
And so if you step outside of the sort of Yankees and Dodgers doing things well and effectively at that very top of the payroll level, you then take a step down in terms of payroll, but still have the same level of efficiency, if not more. You have Tampa Bay Rays, Baltimore Orioles, I think. Getting a mix of those two things, which Tampa Bay is seemingly top 10 at everything without going whole hog into analytics and kind of losing the force for the trees like a lot of teams have done. They have mixed all these things really well. Their efficiency is essentially off the charts, but they are competitive in the playoff race every year for like the last couple decades with all the same guys in the front office that have now spread out all around baseball. And I would say Baltimore is doing a savvier version of what Jeff Luna did in Houston with like a little more humanity mixed in because I think that was the weakness of that Jeff Luna approach where their strength is they have a very specific point of view of what kind of guys they want to take in the draft, primarily up the middle hitters with power. That's like the thing they look for until that is gone. And then they'll look for other stuff. And typically three or four rounds worth of that up the middle guys with power. And they have proven with Gunnar Henderson and some other guys that they know how to make that stock go up, how to pick that guy, shore up whatever the weakness is, and make the most of the strength. They are really good at that. So having a specific point of view of the thing you're good at, whether it's employer development or scouting, and getting the other department on board to then push that advantage as much as you can, and then hopefully get the level of efficiency that Tampa Bay has had. You don't have to go hire guys from those front offices to do it, but I think there is a way to sort of copy some of the things that they're doing well. And I think a lot of teams are trying to copy both Tampa Bay and Baltimore right now. So what you're saying is you need to treat the humans with a little bit of respect and dignity? Is what you're saying? That's that's what I'm saying. It turns out that's good business and also good good human business. Hey, I got to tell you, there's not many guys that go from the front office scouting into the media and are great at it. You are fabulous, my friend. We love having you on. Keep doing a great job, and let's talk after the draft. Yep, and since it will be after the draft, look for us on ESPN. We'll be, we'll be doing the first two rounds on TV. Beautiful. Uh, so I'll, I'll be yapping like this about every pick. Well, f- find us a good pick at six, would you? I'd love to get you one of those top five guys. I'll see what I can do. I've been talking to some agents here. Maybe I'll pull some strings. That's great. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right, have a good one. Well, joining me here on A's Cast Live, he's a three-time World Series champion, a World Series MVP. He is an Oakland A's Hall of Famer. And on Sunday, we'll be going into the California Sports Hall of Fame. That's what, three Hall of Fames now? That's three. So, I mean, that's pretty, as a kid who grew up in California, to be in the California Sports Hall of Fame, it's a who's who in this Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's some pretty good, some pretty good names uh, um, that are in this Hall of Fame. Uh, though I was invited, actually, to uh, Tony La Russa's induction uh, pre-pandemic. So that would have been in 18 or 17 or 18 when Tony was inducted. Um, Kristen Okoye is the uh, chairman and uh, president CEO of this of this Hall of Fame, and so um, for all the for those of you who followed football and the Kansas City Chiefs in particular, you know that Christian Coy was a was a hell of a running back and a destroyer in that position. And so when the Nigerian know, nightmare, yeah, he so, was awesome. So when I got the um, letter and the call from him, uh, you know, I was uh, I was excited about it genuinely. Yeah, well, congratulations. That's a, it's a hell of an honor, another Hall of Fame for you. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, I would never have dreamt, you know, growing up, you know, in, 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 
in the backyard and playing baseball with my brother and I would never have dreamt of all of the the things that have just come in in my direction, you know, with the A's Hall of Fame, the various sports Hall of Fame, uh, Bischoff, and now uh, California. These are all tremendous honors. You know, when I, you know, we always talk about obviously your A's career, but now that the team's going to be in Toronto, you made the trek up north. And not only did you win a World Series with the Toronto Blue Jays, a lot of people forget, I mean, like Cody was too young. I mean, you're talking, this Toronto Blue Jays team, whether you talk about the first or the second one, 92-93, when you're talking about Hall of Famers that, you know, when you're talking about Roberto Alomar and the first DH was Dave Winfield, and then you had Paul Molitor, uh, you had Devon White, you had John Olerud, Ricky Henderson shows up. I mean, Kelly Gruber, you had all these great players that were there, and the pitching staff was unbelievable, and you had a whole country behind you. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, after Montreal um, lost their team, uh, it went from the East Coast to the West Coast, all the way from Nova Scotia to Vancouver, um, and you're right. I mean, when I look back on the pitching staff, um, you know, it was led by Jack Morris, and I was right after him with Stottlemyre Henkin and and uh, Gooseman. Um, great starting rotation, and our bullpen um, was pretty good. We had two closers um, on the back end. Henkin, Henke, I'm sorry, was our closer, but we also had Dwayne Ward, and both those guys were upper 90-mile-an-hour guys. Um, Henke had... Uh, a split finger, and Dwayne Ward had an unbelievable breaking ball slider along with his hard stuff. And, and so when, you're, when you've got those two guys back there, Danny Cox was our, our middle relief guy. Um, I mean, we were, we were pretty good. How, how was it playing for essentially a country? You know, I never really thought about it until after we won the, 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 the World Series in 93. They had won one in 92. I was a part of 93. Yeah. And um, was the MVP in the in the LCS? Um, I'm sorry, LDS. Um, and no, I was right the first time. LCS. Yeah. We only had we didn't have an LDS. We had we had the League Championship Series and World Series back then. Uh, how how great things have changed now, right? Oh. <laughs> and so you know, winning the winning the MVP, and and then um, I used to frequent Vancouver. I'm um, in that period of time. I love going to the city and. And uh, spending time there, and um, I went up after the World Series was over um, in January. It was cold in January, but still nice. Great restaurants, nice city. Um, all the people um, that, um, you know, I was being recognized by in, in Vancouver and, and the heartfelt thank yous for, for winning a World Series for Canada. It, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, no, it was obviously a great time, and and your buddy Rick Anderson showed up and was a part of it. Oh, it was good. Um, I remember talking to uh, Pat Gillick at that time was our general manager, and Pat was asking me, um, you know, what kind of guy was Ricky, and uh, you know, Ricky was probably one of the the um, one of the players that uh, people really they they had no idea of how great a teammate he is. You knew how great of a player he was, but you, you didn't know how great of a teammate he was in the clubhouse and and the laughter and the the fun that he brought into your clubhouse and, and in his own way, leadership. Um, and so, you know, Pat Gillick had asked me questions about Ricky 
and and the type of person he was and what I felt he could do for our club. And days later, he traded for him. It's so interesting. We, we, we had Sandy Allerson. It was at the winter meetings in 2019 where Sandy said, you know, one of the things he'll always be known for is trading away some of the greatest players of all time. But he talked about when they were going to reacquire, which we just, what, two days ago was the anniversary of your guys' team reacquiring Ricky Anderson from the New York Yankees. He said that there was a big debate amongst the front office was this or was this not a good idea? So young Ricky Anderson obviously is different from as Ricky gets older and he's going to all these teams. He's like the elder statesman. Everybody <laughs> loves. Like Ricky was like the greatest guy in the world. He's a Dodger, a Padre, or Angel, or whatever. But young Ricky, it's like it's a. Di- what was that like? Why was? Why do you think it was always a a, a decision where people are like, eh, I'm not so sure if we should bring him in or should we should bring him back from the ace case. Well, one of the misconceptions about Ricky is is his desire to to be on the field, um, and what I mean by that is, you know, they felt that Ricky needed days off, and when he needed days off, he would take days off. Of, but that that could never be more misunderstood. I mean, Ricky loved to be on the field, loved to play, wanted to play every day, did not like days off, um, and. Um, so you look at that factor, and that is going around, and then you 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 uh, just the aura that goes, quite frankly, with all Hall of Famers. I've you know I've been around quite a few. Dennis Eckersley may be probably the exception to this, but um, most Hall of Famers that I've been around, they have an aura about them that that is different from most people that I know. When I'm around Reggie Jackson, um, you feel something when you're around Reggie. When you're around Ricky Henderson, you feel something when you're around him. And they are quite different than the average human being. And so um, Ricky didn't know that he was going to be a Hall of Famer when he became one. He knew one before he got there. Um, And he played like that. Um, The way he went about his business was greatness. and, and, um, And then ultimately he became a Hall of Famer. And so the misconception of of his personality and how he fits in with the team, um, I think was part of that as well. Um, and but um, when you play with him, you are you've got one of the best guys that you can have in your clubhouse. You don't like him on the other side. I can tell you that <laughs> uh, because I played against him, um, and you don't like him on the other side. But when he's in your clubhouse, he's one of the best teammates you'll ever have. And he made a great point to you about Ruiz, where S.A. Uri Ruiz, at some point as he's going to evolve into a great leadoff hitter, I mean, he's on pace right now for 82 stolen bases. That would be the most for an A since Ricky stole 93 in 1988. He leads baseball in stolen bases. But there's nuances to leading off, taking pitches, taking your walks, and just talk to us about how Ricky brought up the whole fact that people were afraid to walk him, so that means there were times he was going to get some good pitches. To that's hit. right, and that's what, that's what he felt. He felt that um, the 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 opposition of the pitchers they were more concerned with putting him on base via walk than him hitting the ball out of the ballpark because they knew if they walked him then it was going to equal a stolen base of second and possibly a stolen base of third, which creates a run. And because he knew that, 
I mean, I'm not sure you're going to find more guys that are selective in the way that Ricky was. Um, he had a great eye for balls and strikes and didn't swing at very many bad pitches. Um, and so he, the way he verbalized it was, hey, you know, I knew they were afraid of me getting on base. And he said that sharpened my awareness of the strike zone. It made me better um, when I was hitting. And it would put me in a position that I could pick and choose the pitches that I wanted to hit. And it made me a better hitter. And he believes that uh, Ruiz has an opportunity to be that type of hitter. Ricky said he wasn't afraid to hit with two strikes. And that's a fact. He wasn't. Um, and he believes that Ruiz will, will, at some point with maturity, be that type of hitter as well. He'll have plate discipline, not swing as many bad pitches, um, and, as he put it, be a creator. Well, Ruiz has the one thing, and we know that. He's got the hit tool. No doubt about it. He's a, he is a hitter, um, especially with runners in scoring position, as we're all finding out, and the league is finding out this kid. Um, he stands up when there's guys on base that are ready to be scored. And um, he does a great job in those situations with focus and making sure that he puts the ball in play and he hits the ball hard. You know, putting your GM hat on right now and you start, you know, you look at where the A's are at 19 and 58. You know, at, at what point do you need to start? I understand you don't want to start guys' clocks for free agency. I get all of that and an arbitration. But at what point do you want to start seeing from the front office standpoint, you want to see some of your younger guys who you've trained, see them come up, see them get their feet wet, and have an opportunity to see what they can do early in their careers in the big leagues? Well, I think what, they've, what, 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 what you'd like to see, um, especially a team of this caliber, you, you, you're, you do an audition, and in spring training you sign, you sign players that you think have an opportunity to, to make your major league club and, and assist you and, and be competitive um, in season. Um, and then as the year goes on, as players mature in your minor league system or they're jumping from one level to the next level, you, you, you watch their maturity. And, and when you think that they're ready, you, you bring them to the big leagues. And I think in this particular case, you're going to see a lot of the up-and-coming players. The name that pops up all the time is Soderstrom. I think, I think you're going to see him in the second half of the season. Um, you, you're going to see him. Now, I don't know how that's going to work. You know, Langoliers is, is, is our lead guy. Perez is doing a great job as a backup guy. So I don't know how you you make that work, but you can expect that you're going to see him. And if we've got other pitching prospects down there, you know, that haven't been here um, to the big leagues at this time, you, you, you're going to probably expect to see those guys too. You know, when you got a young guy that's struggling, take a guy like Langoliers. I mean, Langoliers – uh, Cody was just putting out the numbers. I mean, Langoliers in the month of June is hitting 161. His last 10 games, he's pit, he's hitting 088. What is the what is the key to helping a young player and getting him back on track? You know, in Langoliers' case, um, you know, I, I think that you know having the amount of playing time that he did last year. It allowed the league to to really do a good job of, of picking him apart and and um, executing in in his weakness, and um, so he is going to have to make the adjustment now to what everybody else is doing, and and he hasn't made that adjustment yet. Um, you know, sitting here between you and I, and 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 whoever's listening at this this show, um, he 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 has not adjusted to the pitch 
I mean, down and away, nobody's going to hit that pitch. Uh, but the pitch away is a problem for him. He pulls off that ball. And if he doesn't pull off of it, it's weak contact, um, you know, to to um, the third base side. Um, he hasn't adjusted to the breaking ball yet. Um, and in, until he makes that adjustment, there's no reason for the league to make the adjustment. Um, he's hitting 201, so the adjustment has to be, it has to come from him. He now has to make the adjustment and show the league that, He's aware of what's going on, and he can adjust, and he can start being the type of hitter that he's been touted to be before he got here. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough. I mean, the one thing that I've always looked at, and you've been a part of this, we were just talking about uh, the, the Rays off to a start that's similar to the 98 Yankees. You coached against the Yankees in the World Series when you were a Padre co- uh, Padres pitching coach as you faced those guys in, in the World Series. But if coaching plays such a big role, especially with these young guys. I mean, we don't think about coaching at the big league level, but when these guys are coming up, I mean, teaching them so many different things, they the only way they're going to get better, they've got to want it, and you got to help them do it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a different group. I mean, this is a different group of kids. There are not a lot of veteran players on this team. I mean, even the veterans on this team aren't very veteran, if you know what I mean. It's, it's, a, yeah. young, it's a young baseball team. And so, I mean, you're really searching for leadership, and the leadership has to come from the coaching staff when you have a team that that's this young. Um, you have to have guys in the clubhouse that are teaching and that are showing these kids the way. Um, and on their worst days, you 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 have to figure out a way to to keep their heads above water. Um, this this season has presented a lot of days where these kids have felt like they've they've been drowning. Uh, the seven-game win streak probably was the best thing to happen for this ball club, and it couldn't have happened at a better time. Um, even in the seven-game losing streak that they've that they've been in, maybe it's at eight now. Um, they're still playing good competitive baseball. Pitching has stepped up. They're throwing the ball a lot better, not walking as many, and keeping their team in the game. Um, the offense has been touch and go, um, especially with runners in scoring position. So um, the coaching staff, they have to take it upon themselves to take a leadership role and show these kids what's necessary um, in times that they're going through right now. You know, I've talked to you about Oakland moving to Vegas, this whole move going on. Uh, we've talked about your attempt to draw, to buy half of the Coliseum site and the disappointment there. And obviously we've talked about what's happening with you in the Nashville Stars and trying to get an expansion team. Just through this whole process, I mean, you had everything from an agent to a general manager, a great player, a World Series champion. You've seen so much of this game. What what have you really learned, though, in this 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 pursuit to try and be an owner what part of this part of the game of baseball have you learned is just kind of just like wow this is a whole different world than what it's like to be a player I mean it's really I mean obviously ownership the, the first thing that that's going to have to take place to be an owner is you, you have to have the capital to do it a little cash yeah and I, and I believe that I can I can raise the money to to do that part of it but the other piece of this that is and this is why baseball and life are, are so so much alike. Um, it's it's relationships. It's it's relationships. It's building relationships. It's it's having people like you. 
quite frankly. If 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 I lose half of these owners, it's going to be a difficult opportunity for me to own a baseball team. Um, and so it's it's having people like you and 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 building relationships and having conversations and and not just having them but paying attention taking in the information and applying it in areas that are going to make me better not just as an owner in baseball but as a person because these are their their life lessons um it's not just about baseball um and and most people think that it's just a game and and uh and that's the way it is but it is a game, but um, it's a, it's also the game of life, in my opinion. I've learned a lot about life as a player, working in the front office, coaching, being an agent. I've learned a lot. Um, it's a small community, but the things that take place in the clubhouse and in the in the community of baseball, you can believe on a larger scale are taking place in the world that we live in. And every day we get closer to someday you being an owner. The National Stars, I mean, you do you sit up at night thinking about it? You getting excited? I know we're kind of a ways away, but it's getting closer. I mean, uh, with the A's potential move, we're hearing Tampa's starting to get situated. It's getting closer for you. Time is flying, and I mean, we're already in the we're already in the middle of the sixth month of this year that just started. It seemed Crazy. like fifteen yeah. minutes ago, and so time is flying. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the ownership ownership piece of it. Um, what I what I do spend time thinking about is is how to make it happen and applying the things that are necessary to make it happen because there's a lot of work to be done um, before I can say I am that guy and I'm making sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Well, I know you haven't wanted to announce it because it will be a big announcement, but uh, I will be Dave's general manager once he starts the <laughs> Nashville Stars. We've really talked about it. Uh, I appreciate that uh, fifth-year option on my contract. I think we're going to have a winner. I think we're really going to have a winner. I, 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 the fact that you believe in me as a baseball man, I, I really I, – I, that, that means a lot to well, me. One thing I know, Tony, is that in these meetings, we will get it like it is. Well, I already asked him for the because I'm not asking. I don't want a broadcaster's job. I know. I, I if I know a guy who's owning a team, I'm going to the top. I want to be the GM, and it was immediate no. I've already been turned down for the gig. An immediate no. But at some point, seriously, you're going to have to like. That's the crazy thing about expansion is a lot of people don't think about it. It's like because I remember back with uh, whether it was the Marlins or the Diamondbacks is you start your minor league starts playing first. Mm -hmm. So like the the first Marlin to ever throw a baseball is 49ers general manager and pro football Hall of Famer John Lynch. Remember, he's a pitcher at Stanford. That's right. He pitched the first game ever as a double A Marlin. The ball's in the Hall of Fame. Wow, that's unbelievable. That is absolutely unbelievable. People don't know that. You don't think about no. that. But, yeah, you, you will start with, I don't know if you'll start double-A or triple-A, but you'll start a minor league team before the big league team well, ever plays. I think the plan is to, to start them both because, you, I mean, we're going to have to be able to feed our major league team. And so you you start with both a double-A and a triple-A affiliate um, in the first year of play as an organization. And then the second year of play, um, You've got your expansion draft, and you're you're putting your players on the field, and you're playing baseball in the second year. So, um, you know, we're in 23 now, and and we have to probably start putting together um, staff and office personnel, scouting, um, and your development people uh, probably in 25. 
Well, you will not be here on Sunday, and it's not because you didn't want to work. It's because you're going into another Hall of Fame. And obviously, you know, one of the great things about having you on and doing television with you is it's just not sitting here talking about your what you did as a player, but it's your experience of everything from the agent to the general manager to a pitching coach. But going back to you as a player, it was an unbelievable career. You were yeah. truly one of the – when I was growing up, you were the big game hunter – you were that guy known as the 20-game winner. And uh, going into the, another Hall of Fame, congratulations because you. Uh, you deserve it. Thank you. I have to say, and, and, and probably I don't say it enough, but the, the truth is, man, I was, I was really, really blessed to have the opportunity. And when I look at, you know, my whole story, you know, a kid that was literally blocks away from the Coliseum and sneaking in the ballpark and, you know, meeting Reggie Jackson in my first encounter with Willie Mays and, you know, joining the Dodgers organization uh, with Roy Campanella being the first person I met, and then Don Newcomb shortly after that. And um, I've really had a really, really blessed life in the game of baseball, and it's um, I, 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 I'm just honored that um, that I've had the opportunity to play. I really am. And then, you know, in your career, when you bring the Boys and Girls Club out and you beat up Pat Corrales before the game, during the game, I mean, yeah, you're you're a man of the people. If you didn't hear that story yesterday on Ace Pregame Live and see the video, it's one of the funniest stories ever. Absolutely outstanding. It was crazy, but shoot. <laughs> Most embarrassing moment in my career was that It was that a great day. right hand, though. It was a great right hand. <laughs> yeah, it was the most embarrassing day in my career that took place that day, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> well, enjoy Sunday. You deserve everything, and we'll see you on television in a little bit. See you shortly. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.